Warning, this podcast features adult subject matter, adult language, and things not meant for children to hear. Viewer discretion is advised. You've been warned. Are you on? You're live. We might be, I think. Holy shit, ladies and gentlemen, we are live, live once again on the I'm No Joe channel. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest episode of the I'm No Joe show, the place where every armchair quarterback can feel like an Eddie Bravo. Today, like most days, across the octagon from me, I have my Wednesday night compatriot, my combat sports combat homeboy, the one and only Golf T. Bates. How you doing this evening, sir? Dude, I'm stoked. And this is a double whammy. We get a holiday today, uh, probably the best holiday of the year. Absolutely. Plus, we get a holiday on Saturday. That's right. Which, what more is there to say other than there's going to be fucking fireworks and it ain't the 4th of July. I'll take fireworks in the fall. That's all right with me. So as like most weeks, we may or may not have a couple other folks popping in here as the show goes on, but whether they do or not, we're still going to get right to it. So like we do around here more often than not, we're going to start right off at the tippity top of the hour with some news and recent events, things that have happened since the last time. We saw you find folks some fight announcements, some uh, interesting tidbits of fact that have come to light since the last time we spoke. Um, first one I want to talk about just real quick here that was announced, uh, I believe it was Tuesday afternoon. Uh, Paulo Costa has suffered a bicep injury and is officially out until at least May of 2020. So his potential next title shot is now scrapped. They are looking at possibly, I'm not in favor of it, but they're still considering it, giving Yoel Romero a third title shot. I don't, I don't think he would go any better against Israel than he did against Robert. And that's, this is one of those situations where MMA math almost does kind of work because we've already got one Holly home. They're trying to make Joanna a second Holly home. We don't need a boy's version of that same every fight gets you a title shot bullshit, especially not considering that even though I don't agree with it, he lost his last fight to Paulo Costa. So you are technically coming in Losing your last three fights in a row, two of them being title shots lost in a row. So I don't understand how that would get you another title shot, but that's what they're looking at. Uh, Adesanya has said he is not opposed to it, but it's not what he was looking forward to. Apparently, they've been talking about this fight already potentially for weeks, just anticipating that something might happen with Costa. So on one hand, Israel's ready and adaptable. On the other hand, we don't need to see Yoel get another fucking title shot. I don't like he's not done by any stretch of the imagination, but he's not a title contender. Period right now. 
do some other shit for a little bit. Well, this is the only, um, I only have one thing to say this. I think part of this is possibly the MMA gods making things right. Thing is, we know Cost didn't win that fight. Yeah. At least in my eyes, your eyes, a yep. lot of the fans out there's eyes. Um, we know that he did not legitimately win that fight. At least not from what we saw specifically ourselves. So I think part of this is this is the MMA gods shining down going, yes, there is a way to right this wrong. We're going to tear his bicep and possibly let you all in. Which, to be honest, I'm fair with the MMA gods stepping in and doing that. I mean, do I think he deserves it? No. But on the other side, it's kind of a – it kind of seems to level things out. You know, things yeah. things come around, they go, go around, come around. It's just fortunate that we have to see it in that light with him. <laughs> right. That's true. That's true. Um, but moving along from there, um, a little bit of recap from this last weekend's uh, Bellator 231 slash 232 fiasco of insanity that went down. Um, we learned in the debut premiere appearance over in Bellator that Rowdy back rolling should probably stick to bare knuckle. Um, she has been out of the MMA scene for long enough now that she got fucking worked now to be fair she got outworked by a much better opponent than her but she looked much worse in her bellator debut than she has in any of her bare knuckle fights so i think this is one of those situations where she's on one hand middle middle tier middle of the road middle pack however you want to phrase it She's a, a, a center of the line runner as far as talent goes in MMA, but she's definitely excelling on the higher end of BKFC. And then you add on top of that, that she took a bunch of time off of MMA to do BKFC. That's a different training regimen. It's a whole different setup. It's a whole different style. And the combination of those two with her coming back to MMA, it just doesn't look like she's got what it takes to keep up anymore at least in the MMA side of it. She's clearly still good at the uh, bare knuckle, and I would absolutely encourage her to uh, consider doing that a little more often than Bellator, but we will see how that goes as well. Um, one of the other things we learned from last weekend's event, uh, Penn State wrestlers did pretty fucking good uh, overall. Uh, granted, I, I do think that the, the First matchup there might have been a little bit of a toss-up decision. I, I could have seen that going either direction, but both the former Penn State wrestlers that were competing last weekend did win their matches, um, so there's that. Um, one other thing we also learned last weekend on that card, Dana White, despite being the asshole that he very much is, does once in a while genuinely legitimately make a good decision or two. Um, one of them that I was reminded of and emphatically so this weekend was his decision to release both Frank Mir and Roy Big Country Nelson. Um, 
I absolutely fucking loved watching both of those gentlemen fight in their prime. And that was years ago. We are not in that time anymore by any stretch of the imagination for either one of those gentlemen. And I understand that on the outside, aesthetically speaking, Frank Mir still looks like he should be able to do it at the same level that he used to. And I think that may be um, a supplemental issue that he's working through. But we saw in the cage itself, he just doesn't have it. Neither one of them do. Uh, granted, the power is still somewhat there for both of them, but they you could see very clearly they are both aged and slowing fighting shells of their former selves on on both sides here i'm not pointing a finger at either one particularly both of them were legitimately disappointing as a fight fan who's been watching both of them since the the pinnacle of their careers respectively it's we're getting to a point now where not everybody that still wants to fight should be able to fight and as horrible of a comparison as it is to make, I do have to mention that we also just found out that Tito Ortiz is actively seeking a multi-fight contract from either Bellator or One or Ryzen. He's tired of hopping around, but he's not ready to retire. Thinks he can go take a belt from one of these other organizations knowing that Dana's not going to fucking sign him. Um, it's another one of those examples that I get that the mind is willing, but the body is clearly not 100% able to do what you used to do. And I, it, it's horrible, but we see this more often than not lately, specifically with some of these fighters who were really in their prime during the heyday, the evolution, the real explosion of MMA, of combat sports coming into America. And now that their moment in the spotlight is kind of moving along, but the sport is still as popular as ever they tend to at least seem to feel like they should still be in that same spotlight that they were when everything was in its prime and it's it's not that anymore no it's uh and specifically of tito ortiz's nature um we've seen him run down beat up back surgeries neck surgeries all kinds of shit that that dude has gone through. Look, he's an absolute fucking legend of the sport. He's a warrior. Look, we know he wants to go out on his shield. Dude, hang the motherfuckers up before you go out in a wheelchair. Yeah, it's it's just not good. There's There's too many of these guys that I don't know if they just don't have people close enough to them that will tell them that this is not what you should be fucking doing anymore or if they are just so stubborn because they were so set in the ways that this is how it used to be so it should be able to get back to that if we work hard enough or I don't know but it's not it's not good. I, I think it could be a little bit of both and I think a little bit of that is um, uh, I've been watching a, I'll, I'll, let me go back to something here. I've been watching a lot of Chael Sonnen's fucking YouTube channel lately. A lot. He made a very good point about um, the whole fight game thing in retirement and wanting to fight everybody. Until you've actually retired, he says that bug doesn't go away. Once the retirement is in there, that bug is gone. The problem is, is all of those fighters who are not willing to give it up, they still want to go out and fight everybody. 
in their division. They just want to do it. That's part of who they are. It's ingrained in them. Until they hit that button and eject themselves from the sport, they're stuck in that mindset. Uh, the other problem behind this is he knows guys like Tino. They are legends in sport. Guys like Frank Mir. I'll even say Roy Nelson because he did a lot of great things in this point as well. Absolutely. And all of these guys, they know where they were in their heydays, where they were just dropping people, fucking submitting people left and right, going to war with Chuck Liddell. It's it's all in that mindset where they're going, yeah, I can still do this because I've done it in the past. But the problem is, is the game has evolved. And a lot of these guys have been left behind, which is, don't get me wrong, it was cool to see kind of an old school style fight with the whole Frank Mir and Roy Nelson thing, but knowing that they're old as fuck and beat up to hell, hell, not a very exciting fight. But all these guys think, oh, we can go in there and just do like we used to. No, the game is way past where you are now. Sorry, guys. No offense. Look, if you take any of these guys and fought them when you were in your prime, yeah, you could have taken a lot of these guys, but the game is still fucking evolved. And these guys train in a whole different way now than what you're used to. So it's time to hang them up, guys. Stop making us think that we're going to see you in a wheelchair in a couple of years because you are too fucking pig-headed to go in there and just lay them down like you should. I mean, Tito, you should have laid this down six, uh, five, six years ago when the UFC got you. That should have been the end of it, period. But, you know, what do I know? You want to go get yourself a multi-fight deal and get beat up on by um, guys who really weren't worth your time? Go for it. Right. Well, and that's that's one of those things as well that it's it's almost funny to joke about and to, to mention until you see guys start legitimately getting convinced that this Legends League or the, you know, not still pro kind of, but not same – they used to be former champions league where they literally just want to let old guys MMA and it didn't look good in the cage for most of the guys that are talking about trying to participate in this when they were still, you know, trailing out. And most of them have been out for a while at this point already. So it's like, no, like we, we can't keep encouraging this. We have to get to a point. We we've gotten to a point where we are finally in MMA able to openly talk, criticize, and, you know, be critical about weight cutting. We have to find a way to bring that same level of importance, that same level of criticality to the end of, of a fighter's career. And I, and I understand as well that a certain point of that comes down to, well, there's no fucking pension because there's no union because these guys are getting treated like, you know, WWE stars where they're all independent contractors and there's no retirement plan. And I get that as well. But we still have to, as a, a community, as a fandom, as a whole, decide how we're going to essentially, for lack of a better term, force some of these older fighters to stop competing when they won't stop on their own. Yeah, and the worst part of this is a lot of those older fighters could be very successful in the fight game still. Absolutely. Absolutely. Run, running gyms, teaching jujitsu, teaching striking. Just coaching well, in general, yeah. Just coaching in general. Hell, not even just coaching. Look at how many former fighters have become successful commentators, successful breakdown analysts, 
the ESPN or other platform. Look, I'm just saying, there is a lot going on with BT Sports in the UK. Y'all could, they could use some really good fighters for breakdowns. Because you know what? ESPN. Misha Tate's the fucking VP of one championship now. Yeah, exactly. There's plenty of opportunities out there for former fucking champions in not just UFC, but any fucking variety of the, the combat sports world, they could still be integral. Speaking of, uh, of fighters who should lay them down and have kept them laid down, I, I just wanted to bring this up because it popped into my mind because I saw it this week. Katsungano. Yes. Got a fucking... Multi-fight deal with Bellator. Deal with Bellator. Look, lady, hang that shit up. But, you know, hey, it is what it is. Uh, we'll all see. I can say is, all of these guys have plenty of other things they could be doing to make really good fucking livings. I mean, really good. The, well, I mean, the problem there is that without Togate, Kat Zingano is still an active winning fighter. Kat Zingano took the fucking toe to the eye that almost blinded her. Yeah. And has now come back from that and is still competing at top level. That's one of the few exceptions to the fighters of that same class, that uh, generation I'm of fighters. I'm just saying that is, she's been around for a really long fucking yeah, time. Yeah, no, absolutely. She's been I don't, I don't see her than fucking Ronda Rousey. Yeah, I don't see Ronda her sticking Rousey. around for another decade by any stretch of the imagination, but she still is legitimately capable both mentally and physically of competing at that level right now. So oh. she's one of those rare exceptions where I am willing to let her keep on going at this point because she's she's earned it. She's winning until she got I fucked. Look, they can even they can even take points out of active fighter situations. Right. Look at um for example, Megan Anderson. Yeah. She does ring commentary and post fight interviews with fighters. Now I forget for which company it is, but it's a smaller one, but guess what? It's still something that's adding that extra paycheck. That's right. Or when you're done, there is your paycheck. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to be an interviewer. You don't have to be an analyst. You don't have to be a coach. But there's still things within the fight game that you can do. Maybe you can go out and poach other fucking fighters for other camps. Do things like that. They pay people to do that. Just saying, it's out there. Well, Find yourself something that's worthwhile. As, as strange of an example as it is, and I'm not saying it's the greatest, I'm just saying it's another example. Um, even when you're not physically capable of still holding out at that top level anymore and retirement is a, a viable option that you've been considering there's still always a uh, a youtube series that you could start and put your name on and slap your face on and give bad descriptions of horrible fight breakdowns that you don't really understand what you're talking about and they'll be popular apparently so that's an avenue as well fuck dc yeah the podcast is podcast, YouTube, those are all definitely huge things. I mean Chill Summon's got one, Brendan Schaub, fuck, there DC, there's a multitudinous amounts of those out there. Yeah. To be quite honest, I will say if you are gonna go and watch some, go watch Chael's breakdowns because he breaks down everything for fucking yeah. MMA, which is fucking fantastic. Go watch Brendan Schaub. Brendan Schaub is also a funny motherfucker sometimes. He's but something. he's got he's got some decent breakdowns, although he's more funny when he's on Rogan, but you know. Yeah. But 
But yeah, no, yeah, there's, what are you there's gonna do? plenty of those guys where they have a massive fucking following that they build in a very short time because your name and weight coming as a pro MMA fighter does carry a following even after you've retired. So there are ways to make ends meet. Right. And com- more comfortably than most. Very true. Um, but getting back into it real quick, couple more little mentions from um, this last weekend's Bellator. In case you didn't notice, they were great fucking events. I encourage everybody to go back and watch them. If you need a little more MMA to fill out your weekend once your MMA high comes down from 244. Um, Mr. Powell with a front-mounted guillotine. So smoothly and efficiently choked his opponent out that after he let go and stepped back, the referee didn't even realize in the moment that the gentleman was out. And as he turned to go back and look, he woke up. The gentleman woke up and went after the ref's leg and was wrestling the ref because he didn't even realize that he had gone out. So that was a beautiful fucking highlight reel moment with such a clean fucking slick little choke thrown in on that as well. And probably one of the best commentaries I've ever heard. Yeah. One of them saying, and if you go after the ref's leg for a single, you're going to have a bad time. You're going to have a bad time. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, next thing real quick from uh, last weekend, despite giving it one hell of a fucking effort, uh, Mr. Nick Newell did not unfortunately come home with that W, but it was not for lack of trying, that was a hell of a fight as well. He both survived and gave some serious fucking punishment. So my hat is off to him. Thanks to Bellator giving him the opportunity. We all get to enjoy those without having to scour the internet for those kind of fights, at least for the, the near future. Um, they also announced that baby, excuse me, baby slices fight. That's a tricky fucking phrase. Baby Slice's fight, which was stopped in 38 seconds due to strikes, has been ruled a no contest. Um, The series of strikes that actually ended the fight itself was, I think they said in total, eight elbows or seven elbows that were thrown. The second one in the flurry of elbows landed way, way back behind the ear in the back of the head. The referee said something about it. He adjusted where he was throwing and landed all the rest of them legitly. And then dude just fucking crumpled and the fight was stopped. But the commission went back after the fight because the fight was stopped due to injuries. So instant replay is available to the commission at that point. They chose to take that option, went back, reviewed the fight. Turns out they felt that that one shot that clipped behind the ear was thrown hard enough and clean enough that it laid the groundwork for the other shots that were legit to stop the fight and overturned the win into a no contest. Um, It was a hell of a strike rush, but even the commentators went nuts right away. You know where you're throwing that elbow in a situation like they were in, in a tight clinch, and you knew that that elbow went south. And, I mean, it sucks, but... In this situation, you made your fucking bed. Now you got to lay in it. Enjoy that no contest. Eh, I, I got to give him a pass. Uh, and purely on the fact that he immediately adjusted when the ref said something. 
It wasn't like he kept doing the wrong thing over and over. Right. In the heat of the moment, that shit happens. Look, we've seen it on more than one occasion where it happens. Somebody's fucking punched somebody. They turn their head, bam, it's in the back of the head. Watch the back of the head. Look, I get it. It it could could possibly have been it. But as fast as he was throwing those goddamn strikes, he wasn't coming back from that. One elbow was not the key make or break point in there. Right. I don't think it should have been a no contest. But, hey, you know what? What do I know? I'm not the commission there. I don't get any say in this. All I can right. do is stand on the sidelines and go, you know what? The guy was listening to the rep. And even, even the commentators pointed it out. When he they gave the post-fight interview and asked him about it, he's, yeah, I heard the ref. They didn't even mention the ref when they asked him it. He said, oh, did you know you had hit him in the back of the head? Yeah, I heard the ref, so I immediately adjusted course and right. went to hammer fist. Dude, the guy gets a pass. Fuck. What? One, okay, you know what? There is, the, there is the argument of possibly a second one there, but still, when you're throwing him that fucking fast, look, that dude was fucked six ways from Sunday. That's all there was to it. Right. Yeah, that, that dude was going out one way or the other. They're just trying to make it to where, on their opinion as a commission, the first strike that landed in the back, even though he adjusted afterwards, was significant enough to where it set the train in motion. And I really don't think so. I can see it, both sides of it. I mean, I can, it, I can that, see both That sides. chain of elbows was coming regardless. Yeah. But would he have fared better in that chain or been able to defend himself better had the first one not rung his fucking bell illegally? We'll, well never know now. Technically, behind the ear is fine. It's the one right. that it's got him on the top of all the, the way head in the top. Yeah. And yeah. look, that one I completely understand. But the second you watch him immediately change it when the ref says something to him, look, no harm, no foul. Look, it happens. It's the fight business right people are going to get hit illegally on on accident it does happen look some people get hit illegally on purpose and it doesn't get called right so i'm saying you give the guy a pass but you know i understand from their point of view yeah, yeah it could have changed the course of the fight do i think so no not a fucking chance in hell i mean hell better freeze over before i believe that shit but you know right um I still think he would have won that fight regardless. And it would have ended in that same fucking position, too. Him against the fence, raining down blows. Robin, yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. He's he's every bit as hard as his old man was. He really, really is a chip off the old fucking block. And it does, but, he, it, he does it properly, too. He trains to be able to do that longevity-wise way more than his father did. So that's the scary part about it. Yeah, because he's actually becoming a pure mixed martial artist, not just a, a fucking not just street a brawler. Yeah. yeah. So, and, but, you know, I think they screwed him a little bit, but nonetheless, it is what it is. Right. My hat's still off to him for a fucking excellent win, whether they call it a no contest or not. Yeah, no, it was still a hell of a fucking fight. Um, Maybe slice. My vote of approval. <laughs> right. Um, the other thing, real quick, two more announcements from this weekend's uh, Bellator card. At the very end of the event, they made two announcements that I think kind of got almost rushed so they could finish the broadcast and get to their, their post-fight interviews and whatnots. Um, the first one, they announced they are doing a featherweight Grand Prix officially 
just like they did the welterweight Grand Prix that got Douglas Lima two belts and a million fucking dollars in a beautiful fucking battle against Rory or what's left of Rory anyway. Um, but they announced that they are now starting up. They are, excuse me, their featherweight tournament. I think they said the first match is the end of this month, the end of November. And then uh, I think they're doing one match or one bracket set a month. And then the, the finals will be in April, I believe is how they said it. Um, but again, they're going to do it. They're doing it a little differently than, than most other Grand Prix here. One, I love that they're doing the Grand Prix style here to keep the belt from getting stagnant or keep anybody from getting, you know, dictatory in a fucking division. Like anybody's subject to get their ass whooped by anybody at any fucking point in time when they do this. And the belt is not solidified to be yours just because you won one fucking fight here. And I like that. But they are basically giving the top eight in this situation contenders in the division, all an equal chance to go home with that belt and some money and an extra belt for the fucking grand prix as well. So that is cool as shit. And we will see how that plays out. And, and the way that they do it is a little different in that they have, it's almost uh, like drawing coins from a bag or drawing numbers from a bag. Uh, you, everyone draws a number. The two people that draw the same number get matched up. One of them gets to pick the date. Like as they, they start running down, they get to pick the date that they fight. No, I think they just draw plain numbers. And then the first number picks the date that they fight. And then as they choose, they pick their own opponents when the second gets to the second. Round. I don't know. It's, it's confusing and it's weird, but it's cool. It's neat to see somebody not just following the fucking norm like the UFC. Um, the other quick announcement that they made that really kind of got swept under the rug after a real brief fucking talk about it was the rematch that everyone wondered if it was ever going to happen. Well, it sure the fuck is. Michael Chandler versus Benson Henderson, too. This time, it's Bellatorian. Um, this will be taking place, what the fuck did we say here? December 21st, I believe. I think they said that. Either way, Michael Chandler versus Benson fucking Henderson. The first fight was fucking classic MMA war. So the second one will be interesting to see. I'm not as excited about that as I am about this weekend's card that we're going to talk about in a little bit, but I am excited to see how both of these two have progressed through their MMA careers and both of them arguably on the back nine or entering into the back nine of their careers. Now it's going to be interesting to, to compare the two different fights of the two fighters and how they've changed since they first met up. A um, couple of announcements, non Bellator to go over here. Um, Smiling Sam Alvey is officially out. The Sao Paulo co-main event will now be Mauricio Shogun Hua versus the Bear Jew, Paul Craig. So that is a very, very different matchup than we were originally going to see, but in a different – it's like a whole different stylistic matchup now. It's still going to be a good fight, but now it's going to be a different kind of good fight because – Smiling Sam is not a grappler. He's a striker primarily. He's like a dollar store version of Wonder Boy for all intents and purposes. Uh, the Bear Jew, on the other hand, 
is a crazy Scottish grappler with serious fucking power and a striker. So that's going to make it a little bit different of a matchup. But I think that I think it equally is going to be a test for Shogun to see if he's really still with us or if he's heading to that back nine of his career as well. Um, another quick announcement here on Monday's Ariel Hawani MMA show. The funky one himself, Ben Askren, came out to talk about getting choked the fuck out by Damian Maya last weekend after giving up his back to one of the greatest Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners still doing the damn thing and thinking he would get out of it. Spoiler alert, he fucking didn't. Um, but from the Masvidal fucking trauma of the UFC's fastest knockout to then getting choked out by one of the best Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners in the UFC, who is also barely clinging to the bottom of the top 10 list in the division. Um, ben has basically realized that in coming to the UFC, he did so in trying to prove that he was the best in the world and, and get the belt in his division and be the best. And now has literally hit road bump after or speed bump rather after speed bump roadblock after roadblock and is starting to realize that he is probably not going to be able to do what he set out to do in coming to the UFC and is officially considering retirement now um not retiring and becoming a recluse by any stretch of the imagination if you've ever seen any of his social media you can't pay Ben Askren to shut the fuck up so he's not going to be going anywhere he's just going to be no longer competing in MMA, it looks like. He still runs a wrestling school. He runs two or three different podcasts. He still does coaching. He's fucking everywhere and anywhere. He's all over the goddamn place. He's just realizing that competing might not be his cup of tea anymore, as it were. And even if he chooses to hang it up, the dude's set for fucking life. Absolutely. And that's what I said. It's not like he's retiring and becoming a recluse and we'll never hear from him again. No, he trains some of the best children wrestlers in the fucking planet. And he does a podcast on wrestling and he does one on something else. I forget what it is, but he's one of those guys where you want to hang it up, hang it up. You did great things in the sport. You had a good fucking run in Beltar and ran the tables for a while. So what? You didn't make it in the UFC. You had good. You had good elsewhere. You're one and two in the UFC right now. I mean, granted, that could be decisive as an 0 and 3, but, you know, it is what it is. However, right. um, he is definitely making money for the UFC. Absolutely. I mean, um, Dana White's headed him. Or, well, no, some guy fucking posted on something about he quoted was on Twitter. Some guy on Twitter said, Worst trade in MMA history, Ben Askren for Mighty Mouse. Some guy then replied to this and said, no, this was a great trade. Because of that five-second knockout that Askren suffered, we now get Jorge versus Nate yep. this Saturday. It was required. And it is going to make more gate and more sales then three Mighty Mouse title defenses as the headliner. It's just the way it works out. And then to that comment, Dana White replies, you, sir, understand. Yep. Like Dana White had this all fucking planned out. 
No, he fucking didn't. Go fuck off. It just you just got lucky and it worked out that way that Ben Askerman was fucking mouth enough to somebody who decided to knee him in the head. Real motherfuckers are out there and there are consequences. I'm just saying. Yeah. But it did work out in their favor as far as sales and things like that go. So I can't say I blame him. Look, still a huge Mighty Mouse fan. I'm sad that the UFC let him go, but it is what it is. That's part of the game. You know, I was initially sad that they let him go, and then I started watching the fights he's having over in 1FC. And as much as I loved seeing Mighty Mouse in the UFC, when you see the caliber of guys they've got in 1FC, it really does show you how coddled some divisions are in the UFC. There are, I don't care how many fucking times Dana tries to deny it, there are absolutely certain champions in certain divisions in the UFC that are absolutely coddled and protected and only given a chance to fight gentlemen who they have allowed to get to the top of their division knowing the actual challenge they would pose against their champion. And when you see the guys that even some of the the lower-ranked and the unranked guys competing over and won, both in bantamweight and in fucking flyweight, Demetrius is getting more challenged in any one fight over there than in all of the best of his fights in the UFC. The level of competition, at least in the smaller guys, over in 1FC is head and shoulders beyond anything the UFC could even fucking hope to be. And as much as it sucks that we had to lose Mighty Mouse to see that, it is important in an overall aspect, both then that Askren's ass-kicking got us the BMF title we'll talk about in a little bit, and that Mighty Mouse, knowing how good that he is, knowing what we've seen him capable of, seeing the legitimacy of the talent over in 1FC compared to the the walk-in-the-park breeze fucking fights that he had several of in the UFC, really does show you the different level of talent and the caliber of fighters that are out there that aren't in the UFC as well. And I think that's kind of important too. But that being said, we'll move along. A couple other announcements here. Um, Another big, big announcement that has happened this week that I don't feel is getting enough credit here because it's being overshadowed by all of the insanity that is going on this week. It has been officially announced UFC 245 December 14th Magic Marlon Marais versus Jose Aldo at 135. I'm going to say that again for the people in the back. This fight is taking place at 135. The King of Rio, the former greatest featherweight fighter in UFC history prior to Max, is moving down a weight class and going right after the title contender at bantam weight. We saw Jose go up, but now he's going to pull a Frankie Edgar and go even further down than where his title reign used to be. I am interested in this fight for a plethora of fucking reasons. Can Marlon come back from that fucking weird whatever the fuck it was that happened against Henry? 
How does Jose fare at 135? How's his weight cut going to go? What's going to happen to the power that helped Jose dominate at 135? Because that doesn't go down with you. That's a reverse weight cut situation. Power goes up when you go up. It doesn't go up when you cut more weight. So there's a bunch of interesting factors that are going to be in play here. And it's definitely going to be worth looking to see how that one shakes loose as well. Um, one more quick little interesting feature here. Um, anybody interested in some of the weirder side of combat sports, um, there was a gentleman named uh, Lebec on Joe Rogan's podcast this week talking about the wonderful sport of Lefway, a primarily Asian full contact, ridiculous full mixed martial art competition sport. Uh, there are leagues now. I'm not sure how it's actually classified. I think it's a sport style, maybe. Uh, <laughs> it's fucking brutal. Headbutts are legal. Elbows are legal. It's pretty much everything is legal with the exception of ground fighting. They want it to stand up. This is a sport where when your opponent gets knocked down, you are encouraged to help him stand back up so the fight can continue. This is also a sport where when you get knocked out, your corner has two full minutes to bring you from wherever in the ring you get knocked the fuck out back to your corner, prop you up on a fucking stool, wake you up, put an end swill on your head, and send you back into the fight. It is fucking ridiculous. And then we find out that uh, it, I, I should preface this. This part hasn't officially been confirmed yet. This is uh, allegedly early release news, um, not confirmed facts, however you want to fucking phrase it. Uh, Diego Sanchez has apparently been released by the UFC. Um, there's, like I said, there's no official announcement about it yet. There's still a lot of information that needs to be verified on that but from first-hand sources in this subject Diego Sanchez has been released from the UFC but much like some of the other fighters we have seen get released is not done yet and is now looking to get a fight in Lethway because it is full-on blitz mode anything goes get the fuck after it kind of fighting so I'm interesting to see how we find or not how we find out but when we find out how and why diego was released but i'm not really surprised that he would dive crazy ass headfirst into lethway to follow up on that um the last little bit that i want to take a minute to talk about here in our news and recent events segment is going to tie us directly into the the main card itself or the the card itself rather the the full meat and potatoes as it were um during the course of the last week we as fans and observers have seen the single fastest and most transparent bullshit from usada in ufc and usada partnerships history nate diaz was Flagged, but not confirmed flagged. Removed himself from the card, was then re-added to the card by himself. 
accused of cheating and then cleared of cheating and Neil Magny tried to take credit for it. So what it all stemmed from, allegedly, there's still more to come out about this again. This is another reason I'm interested in this fight because there are still details that will not be revealed by anyone until after the fight, hopefully. But what the, the story as we know it now is that one of Nate's all-natural plant-based supplements was indeed tainted with a sub-picogram level of a diuretic, I believe, that is also associated with steroid use. This is apparently one of the same chemicals that Neil Magny had popped hot for and clean claimed, excuse me, his innocence of due to a dirty supplement. Nate provides all his supplements right away because you know damn well Nate's going to say, here's my $500 and everything I'm taking. Show me where I cheated, motherfuckers. And he did. I don't, I don't know that he actually paid them. Yeah, that's true. I don't know that he actually paid, but he did give them all his supplements right away and say, fuck you, I'm not doing anything till you clear my name because you know this is bullshit. And I'm pretty sure he didn't pay them. In fact, I would lay 10 to 1 odds he did not pay any reprocessing because you know what? Probably I bet you you know who footed that bill? Daddy Dana. Yeah. Q-Ball, yeah. Uh, Which that is... That was was some bullshit. We all knew it. Yeah, no. And then... They they need to find a... Because of this whole, look, this whole picogram shit that's now come to effect with the John Jones thing. Look, okay, John Jones, he had some personal issues, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Comes back, pops hot for something, and it was this sub-picogram where it's not going to, or this picogram, whatever, not going to make a difference. They need to come up with a set digit or a set amount where they go, okay, this is acceptable, because it's possible tainted supplement, this is not. When you're getting into something that is not going to make any fucking difference for a fighter, and it's not going to give them any performance enhancement, you need to write it off. Stop pulling this bullshit. Because you know what? There are plenty of cheaters out there. Not all of them have gotten caught. We know that. But... It is definitely something that can be worked on because when you're throwing people like fucking Nate Diaz, so you can look at the motherfucker and tell that he's never taken a steroid in his goddamn life. There's a problem. And when they say they found sub-picograms, take your sub-picogram, turn that motherfucker sideways and shove it up your ass because that's fucking bullshit. Yeah. I'm going to leave that sleeping dog lay because... I'm sure we're eventually going to get this all to come to a head and they're going to start throwing motherfuckers under the bus. The only thing that really makes me angry, actually what makes me the angriest, was how out of their way the UFC went this week in the build-up to the fights that they put in their own fucking little basic commercial to, hey... We're going to provide these fighters with all the supplements they need that are lab tested and will not make them pop hot because they're not from third parties. Go fuck yourself, UFC. You just try and control fighters again. Fuck right off. It's bad enough you don't let them have their fucking 
own fucking sponsorships anymore. You, you don't let them fly their fucking banner with their sponsorships. Right. I'm calling bullshit. But, you know. And for those unaware of what he's talking about, this week's UFC embedded vlog series that goes on for every pay-per-view event is sponsored by Throne Throne or Thorn. I don't remember now. Dyslexia. I think it's Throne. I think it's Throne. Throne Supplements, which is the UFC's new partner. So all of the fighters during fight week, while they are checked in to the UFC headquarter, motel, hotel, however, the whatever they call the arrangements, once the UFC fighter has checked in, all of their meals and everything, their vitamins and supplements are all provided now by this company because their supplements are all multi-third party tested and verified and it's the only supplement line that the UFC trusts. So basically the UFC is trying to say that if you take anything other than our stuff, you risk being tainted. It's There's a lot of fuckery there as well, and I think it's kind of bullshit. That's it. I'm waving the bullshit flag on them. Yeah, yeah. There's There's undoubtedly some fuckery afoot with that whole scenario here. And the timing of it is beyond coincidence. I, I completely agree. I'm saying horse shit. Absolutely. Because Absolutely. They're trying so to they're trying to turn this whole thing on its fucking head to make it seem like, oh, we're trying to be the good guys. Fuck right off. You're being the good guys, you would come up with what that set fucking limit is. Tell USADA, look, this is what we're going to do. Anything below this threshold, fucking don't worry about it because it's not going right. to enhance performance. You're going there. Look, contrary to pop, what everybody fucking believes, there is a set threshold. What that threshold is, I don't know exactly because I don't know the science behind all of it. But I know there is going to be a set threshold where popping hot for something will positively affect you or have no effect at all. There may be a small gray area, a very small, but they have to come up with that spot where they go, anything below this, we're not even going to fucking mention. Anything between this and this, we're going to be quiet about. Anything above this, we're throwing you to the fucking wolves. But, you know, God forbid we do the right thing and actually treat fighters that we know are fucking clean with some dignity and respect. So, let's see. I believe, yeah, that's, yep, that was the last one I had on the news and recent events segment here. So, that will bring us into the meat and potatoes, as it were, of this particular episode. The reason we are here to talk about this weekend's festivities, the one, the only, the much-anticipated UFC 244 Madison Square Garden, Masvidal versus DS for the baddest motherfucker title. It is on the line. It is going down this weekend. I tell you, for as much fluff and bullshit as we have been inundated with over the last couple of months for the better part of summer into fall now, we have just been getting mediocre card after mediocre card with lots of fluff and lots of fluff and then a big headline with a bunch of fluff stuffed into the fucking card as well 
We're getting to the end of the year. We're running out of time for bullshit, and the UFC has scrounged as much as they can, and they're cramming as many fights into the end of this year as they possibly can. I think there's only four more cards or five more cards for the rest of this year, and every one of them is getting crammed to the gills with all the fights that just have to fucking happen in 2019, this one being no exception. This is the first time in a long time where every fight – on this card while it might not be a big name fight is a big fight in that division every fight we're going to see this weekend has a substantial impact on the division that it takes place in and let me see if i can get a little fuckery afoot here and quite possibly maybe even once upon a time figured out how to do a thing and kapow We've got our early prelims here. Now, despite essentially every fight on this card, top to bottom, being worth mentioning, we are not going to do a full breakdown on every fight here. What I do want to take a moment to is point out some of the names you're going to want to keep an eye out for some of our more casual viewers. Before you do that, I want to point one thing out. Go right ahead. That was a lot speedier for a transition than it has been the last couple of weeks. Way right. Go. I'm getting there. God damn it. One of these days I'll have it all figured out and it'll be like loomy smooth, but I ain't there yet. I'm still streamer pleb. So I'm figuring it out. Damn it. We're working through it. <laughs> so, the opening fight on this card is one of the most interesting here. Hakeem Adawadu is one of the most unique fighters the UFC has brought in in a long time. He's got a very strange off-put style. He almost reminds me of a smaller Keith Jardine, the way he's always on such an odd set of movements. He's never really on the time strike you would anticipate him to be. He comes from weird fucking angles when he does strike, but he's so fucking strong that when he grabs you, you generally get put where he fucking wants you to go. So Julio Arce is going to be an interesting matchup for him. I don't know how this one's going to shake out because I just, I haven't seen a whole lot from uh, either one of these gentlemen in terms of big spotlights. And this is, 244. This is Madison Square fucking garden. This is one of the biggest cards of the year. This is a big spotlight. So this one's going to be interesting to see who the bright lights get to because unlike most cards that we see, I have a very strong feeling that even once these early prelims kick off, we're going to have more people, more asses in seats, as it were, than we generally see towards the middle or end, I feel, of prelims on a general card, just because of how big this event is, how many people are going to be there, and how significant these fights are going to be. I think the uh, excitement and the, the bright, flashy lights are going to be a little more pomp and circumstancy right out of the fucking gate than they generally are. And I'm curious to see how the big show, as it were, is going to affect either one of these gentlemen here. Uh, second fight, middle of our pack over here. Lyman Good is a scary young man very stoic in his fucking stance but very strong in his fucking movement and his striking uh chance rencontre rencontre i'm not sure 
how it's officially pronounced, one of those crazy foreign names. Um, great grappler. Interesting, interesting style as well. Not necessarily the greatest gas tank for a grappler, though. So the other side of that, Lyman Good, not known to be a five-round contention fighter either. So that one's going to be interesting to see where that fight ends up. Like they say, all fights start on the feet. That one, I'm curious to see. I feel there's going to be a lot of ground time making significant impacts in this particular fight. Now, the main reason that I wanted to give a quick little breakdown here on the early prelims, because both of those fights are going to be interesting. This fight is going to be interesting for a little bit of a different reason, though. We are talking about the women's flyweight division here for the premier early prelim fight here. One, Caitlin Chukagian versus Jennifer Maya. Now, the interesting thing here is that Caitlin Chukagian is the number one contender in the women's flyweight division. Jennifer Maya is ranked number five, barely number five. Excuse me, I have to go kick my dog in the head. I'm joking. I'm joking. No, but he's really not. No, um, I'll do a little breakdown on this one because um, it was probably the only fight that I was kind of surprised that um, is on the early prelims. However, they do need people to start buying into the ESPN Plus thing, not just buying the pay-per-views. Which so they're trying to throw a little um, little dog a bone. For those of you who do have the ESPN Plus here. Oh, well, this is women's fucking flyweight division. So you're looking um, nice and tiny 125ers. Um, to be quite honest here, Jennifer Meyer, she is, as you was saying, in my opinion, she's a middle-of-the-road fighter. How Caitlin Chikagian is sitting as the number one contender, I don't know. Because uh, I, to be quite honest, I don't believe that her skill set um, sets her in that type of company right now. But then again, I'm just some random armchair quarterback here calling what I see. Um, nothing that either one of these two have done has been all that impressive between both of them. It's been decision after decision after decision. Um, however, Miss Maya has had a few more finishes than Caitlin Chikagian has, um, and she's also got quite a few more fights under her belt. So I guess that does kind of come with the, the point. So if I was going to call this fight one way or another, I would have to say it's going to end up being Jennifer Maya coming in with an upset. Uh, now, uh, do I think she's going to finish Chikagian? No, not really. Do I think it'll go to decision? Yeah, I really do. Um, I don't see either one of these girls finishing each other. But I have been known to be wrong before. So we'll see. It'll be, it'll be definitely interesting to see how this one plays out. And I guess I, I still want to know why this is the featured early prelim when there are a couple fights that I've seen elsewhere that could have easily been on the early prelims as well. However, um, they are the only women's belt on the entire fucking card. 
there's no other women on this boat. So uh, I guess in that case, this can be the early feature prelim. I, I mean, to be honest, if I was to put an early feature prelim, I probably would have put the Arlovsky fight here. Uh, but that's just because you want to pull people over to ESPN Plus, that's a good way to do it. This is not going to be that. See, I, I look at this one a little bit differently. I'm looking at this on a little bit of the other side, kind of like we were talking about earlier, where the UFC very clearly tries to manipulate the matchups to keep champions safe or to keep certain competition away from champions or to make champions run seem a little bit longer than they might have ordinarily been given the chances the way that they used to be where that rankings mattered and you had to earn your fucking title shots and so on and things like that. Whereas in this situation, not for the valiant achievements that she has, but I, I agree Chukagian is the number one title or excuse me, number one title contender, the number one challenger, number one in the division here, the next two step up and get her ass handed to her by Valentina. But I think in this situation, this is an odd matchup to take your number one contender who is healthy and ready to fight. And you have the champion who is healthy and ready to fight. And rather than making that matchup, which both Valentina and Dana have said is the matchup to make, she's the number one contender. Valentina is the champion. They're both healthy. Why the fuck don't we have a fight working out? There's not even a, a contract negotiation, according to all three of those parties. But now we've got Chukagian, who is the legitimate, in my opinion, number one ranked women in that division underneath Valentina, who long may she reign, um, is going to be that belt holder for a while. But the number one contender who legitimately should be getting her shot that she has earned her way to number one status with is turning around and fighting a number five who is graciously, I would say, ranked number five would more accurately be, I think, more closer to eight or nine. Um, essentially more of a middle-of-the-pack gatekeeper role fighting your number one contender in a division. And experience-wise, the gatekeeper is the one who's had more fights and has more successes by several different events. And then you look at where this fight falls, as, as well as it being the only ladies' fight on the whole card. If you're really wanting to emphasize this, would you really want it as a premier fight of three on Fight, Pla fight Pass, rather? Or would you want it to be on ESPN Plus as the prelim premiere? Because this is not a, a main card fight with all the other shit going on. So I, I'm not going that crazy. But I'm saying this should not be the early prelim pre premiere. Either one of the other two fights here would work just fine for that. This one, I feel, with it being the weird one versus five and the only ladies fight on the card i would think they would want to put that in the actual prelim premiere where you're guaranteed to have more asses and seats more eyes paying attention than we're getting here um on the other side of that though i also feel that chukagian despite them setting her up essentially from from one point of view to be knocked down a peg or two by maya here I, I think she's got what it takes to get it done. Maya's a, a dangerous woman to, to see on the ground or to get taken down by, but I think Chukagian might be strong enough to, to have a defensive chance and to be able to get some good striking in. I think Chukagian might be able to take this in the long run. Um, and that's where I differ a little bit. I think this could be an upset fight, which, to be quite honest, I'm a little disappointed in. Because right. 
I was expecting to watch Chikage and get her ass fucking just derailed miserably by Valentino. I mean, this is also part of the, like I said, I have, I'll, I'll throw the tinfoil hat on with you on this one. <laughs> I think there is a thing where they're trying to keep her safe. And from what? There's nobody in the 125 pound vision yeah, that's, that's going to touch her with a 10 foot fucking pole. Exactly. That's the part that throws me off. Like, that's why I said, I, I believe that Chukagian is legitimately the number one contender in the division and should have her chance to fight for the title. But I don't think she's got a snowball's chance in hell of taking that belt off Valentina's fucking waist. I but think the, the only other part of that that I could see for that is maybe because the rest of the fight or the rest of the cards for this year are booked fucking solidly up. They didn't want to throw her on a card where she wasn't getting the correct dues. And I can understand that if you're trying to save Valentina that, so that way she can make some more money being top dog on a card. Look, can't blame me there. But for this one, it just it's a poorly made fight. And if it ends up happening where Jennifer Maya actually upsets Caitlin Chikagan, it's going to be really bad for the fucking women's strongweight division. It's, it's going to fuck totally, that division up, yeah. Yeah, it fucking completely derails everything else they had going. We'll see come um, early prelim fucking feature. Um, right. Who knows? Although I'm surprised that they only have one woman's fight, one women's fight on this fucking card. I agree. I agree. But that's this is specifically one of those fights that I, I was talking about a minute ago where I said they might not be the biggest name fights or the biggest press fights, but the fights that we have this weekend are all very relevant in their division, specifically your number one versus five women's flyweight here stuck in the you know buried in the early prelims of a pay-per-view card so now as strange of a a a setup is they've started us out with there um flip over here we will bring up the see if it pops there we go get the uh the prelims themselves up here to give a quick little rundown of um again here great prelims but we're not going to break down each and every one of them we are going to mention them all here so that people are aware of what we are looking at the opening fight which for a prelim card this is a fucking prelim card any one of these fights on this prelim card could have been on the main card and no one would have a right to bitch at all this is essentially the better part of a fight night main card being given to us as the prelims for the 244 card i'm okay with that the opening fucking fight on the prelims andre arlovsky versus jair zierno rosenstrike Holy shit. Now, this is another one of those situations where we've got a guy who he's clearly on the back nine of his career. The thing that we have yet to find out is how quickly is that career going towards the final green? Is he holding the gas pedal down on the golf cart or is he casually strolling, walking his bag up on his own, taking his time as he gets to the next hole? Mr. Rosenstrike is going to be a great test to find that out. This gentleman 
is one of the scariest up-and-comers in the heavyweight division. He's large, he is strong, and he has great striking that you damn sure better look out for. Because if you overlook him, you'll go to sleep like the vast majority of his opponents have so far. Now, behind that, we've got an interesting middleweight matchup here in Brad Tavares, who has been beaten by both the two former middleweight champions and both of the contenders for both of the last two middleweight champion fights. So we've got him, Brad Tavares, not the worst, but clearly not championship material as far as the rest of the division is concerned against Edward Shabazian, one of the most talked about prospects in the middleweight division here. One of the, for lack of a better term, the gentleman with the most hype train who's not wearing the belt in the middleweight division. I think it would be a good descriptor for him here. This is going to be an interesting matchup here because these are both full-rounded, I think would be a good descriptor. Full-rounded fighters. Neither one of them are really specialized. They don't really particularly only lean towards one thing, but they're also not quite full masters of everything yet. They do have a vast tool set, though. So that's going to be an interesting, smaller compared to the heavyweight guys fight to watch here. Followed immediately by what I think is going to be the most interesting, smaller guy, and I use that term loosely here, fight on the card. Shane Burgos versus Mr. France himself, Marquan Amirakani. So this is going to be a very bouncy fight. Both of these gentlemen like to stay very hoppy in their striking, very much on the bicycle for a good portion of the fight, always on the, the tips of their toes, ready to bounce, ready to strike, ready to dodge. This one's going to be your jumping bean match, for, for lack of a better term. These guys are going to bounce all over the fucking place. It, it should be interesting to see here. And then we have the premiere for the prelim card here. I don't even remember what his nickname is because he's changed it 17 fucking times in the last year. Corey Anderson versus the young up-and-comer Johnny Walker. This fight could easily be co-main event and no one would be able to complain. The thing about it is, it's not even on the main card. This is the premier prelim fight. There are that many more anticipated, I guess would be a phrase to use here, fights that they wanted to put on the main card itself. This is going to be a very, very, very interesting test for both of these gentlemen here. Corey Anderson, despite doing decent work in the light heavyweight division, just cannot seem to catch a fucking break. Whereas we've got the other side of that coin here with his opponent, Johnny Walker, who is fairly new to the UFC and just coming in, putting in work, taking dudes out. But he's also doing his work quickly. He's kind of a fucking clown, and he hurt himself in his post-fight celebration more than in his last fight, the last time we saw him in the cage. Now, to his credit, 
Johnny Walker has made a point to mention several times, both in the embedded vlog for this week's buildup and in the press that they have done during fight week here, that he does not want this to be another first round finish, another quick fight like he's had in the past. He wants this to be a full three round battle. He wants it to end in the third, but he wants to show people He's more than just a quick starter. He's more than just a guy who can get you real quick. He wants to show that he's got the skill set. He's got the gas tank, and he's got the techniques to be able to intelligently fight for three full rounds with a top guy like Corey Anderson. He might not be the guy fighting for the belt next, but Corey Anderson is still no fucking slouch. He has world-class excuse me, world-class wrestling. He has world-class striking. He's strong as shit. He's slick with his movements. Corey Anderson is not to be overlooked. The issue is that Johnny Walker has got so much fucking hype behind him coming into this fight based on his previous professional experience in Brazil and then his just jaw-dropping fucking performances. The first few times we saw him in the octagon, it's hard to think this fight is trying to be a three-round fight. I don't think it's going to be, though, because as much as Johnny Walker says he wants to go three rounds, as much as Corey Anderson says he wants to drag Johnny Walker into the deep waters, I still think deep down, both of these guys are coming in there, and they're both going to be throwing fucking power trying to take the other one out. So this one, I think, is going to have fireworks unintentionally. I think these guys both say they want to go three rounds, but I think based on their actions, based on their styles, I think both of these guys still come out here and try and put fucking work in. I don't think this fight sees round three. The problem here is that I don't think Corey Anderson will see round three either. I think Johnny Walker can get it done. And I think he's going to do it because Corey Anderson is overlooking him. I think Corey Anderson is so focused on being the next guy to fight John Jones, he's completely taken Johnny Walker as an opponent out of his mind. And I think that's a dangerous thing to do because while Johnny Walker might be new to the UFC, he is a very experienced and a very technically savvy fighter overall. I think he's going to get it done. I think he's going to get it done in a second. And I think Corey Anderson is going to go to sleep. I'm very inclined to agree with you on this one. Um, look, Johnny Walker does have a problem when it comes to celebrating after a fight. He tends to do stupid shit, which hopefully they've talked him off of that ledge from here on out. We've been saying it since we've watched him come up. He has a fuck ton of potential. He's super fucking powerful. He's got the one-punch KO ability. I'm not saying Corey Anderson doesn't, because he obviously does. He's made it this far, but you're indeed right. He's been looking past him because he's been jockeying for that John Jones fight. And Jones has been shutting him down. Which, at that point, dude, focus on the fight in front of you. Make a statement. If you really want that fight, this is a, the kind of fight that'll make that statement for you. Because Johnny Walker has a fuck ton of fight behind him. Yes, he does. Just a ridiculous amount. People are laughing at him because he injures himself post-fight fucking celebration, but they're not laughing at him with the way he fights inside the fucking octagon. That's a dangerous motherfucker right there. Curry Anderson, you're no slouch, but 
we've said it before, I'll say it again. Don't look past the guy that's in front of you. That tends to cause headaches and you waking up not knowing where the fuck you're at or possibly shooting for a single on a referee and you're going to have a bad time. I'm going to have to say I'm going with my gun on this one. Johnny Walker wins it second round about halfway through. It's going to be via TKO. I think so. And not that I have anything against Corey Anderson either. I, I like the guy. I genuinely like him. He's a fucking likable guy. He's a fucking hard worker. He's a pretty well-rounded fucking fighter. But he's really developing this bad habit of overlooking everyone put in front of him because he thinks that he's the guy and he should be getting his shot. That's a dangerous fucking maneuver, especially when you're getting close to the top of the stack, especially when you're in the fucking light heavyweight division because most of the guys in the light heavyweight division have one-punch power at the very least. And you got guys like Johnny Walker who not only have that one-punch power but have a black belt in, excuse me, black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu to match. That's a fucking difficult phrase to say as well. But that will bring us, if the internet will work with me here, which it generally tries not to. Hey, it's actually got it. That will bring us to the actual meat and potatoes of this meat and potatoes segment here, the main card of the evening. 244 Madison Square Garden, all in, pay-per-view time. It's going to be a good one. So right out of the fucking gate, the opener, which... I will say is my least anticipated fight on this card. This is one of the few disagreements I have with Sean Shelby and Mick Maynard on this card. The opening fight for UFC 244 is Kevin Lee versus Gregor Gillespie at 155. Kevin Lee is going back down to 155. Again, for some fucking reason, and calling out one of the legitimate quick rising prospects and doing it. Because he couldn't hack it up 170. Right? Exactly. This is one of the problems where, you know, I hate to hit that dead horse again, but the weight class system in the UFC is fucking fighters. I don't think we need to completely restructure the whole thing. I think a couple small changes could fix a lot of this shit, but 155 to 170 is too big of a fucking gap, and guys like Kevin Lee get stuck in that fucking in-between part here. Kevin Lee would be a great 165 competitor. Kevin Lee is too small for 170, and he's too big for 155. The problem is he can't figure that the fuck out because he keeps trying to go back and forth to both. Now we've got a situation where Gregor Gillespie is a legitimate 55-er. He's the right size. He's the right speed. He's the right strength. He's fairly naturally sized at 155. He can compete. He does compete very well at 155. He's fucking 13-0 and 0 for a reason. The guy has not been out there just beating soup cans. He is legitimate. There's a reason he's got hype behind him. There's a reason he's a top-watched prospect right now. The problem is... Kevin fucking Lee is a train wreck. 
opposite the hype train that is Gregor Gillespie. The only thing that I think is more likely here than Gregor Gillespie winning is Gregor Gillespie winning. I don't think there's a possible way Kevin Lee can beat Gregor Gillespie. His striking is sloppy. His wrestling is overhyped in his own fucking mind and has been demonstrated that by several other game opponents. Gregor Gillespie is elusive as fuck. He's got a good fight IQ. I think Gregor Gillespie is going to take this. The problem is Gregor Gillespie does not have one-punch knockout power. So I don't think Kevin Lee is going to sleep. I have a feeling this is going to end on the ground, maybe even by a submission. But I think this is a situation where Gregor Gillespie is going to give Kevin Lee a taste of his own wrestling prowess. And I use strong air quotes on that. Because Kevin Lee doesn't actually have wrestling prowess. Gregor Gillespie can actually fucking grapple, though. So I think Gillespie takes this one, and hopefully it puts Kevin Lee not out of the picture, but at least on the bench to figure his shit the fuck out afterwards. Yeah, I'm right behind you on this one. I'm not a fan of Kevin Lee. I've not been for a very long time. There was one point when he kept his fucking mouth shut and kept his nose to the grindstone that I could get behind him. Now he runs his mouth about shit that... that he knows nothing about, a.k.a. winning fights. Um, the dude just pops off at the fucking mouth all the time like he's God's gift to fucking MMA, which is not the fucking case. The dude is fucking trash. But to be quite honest, uh, why he's going back to 155 to get wrecked at 155? Because he can't handle 170. He got wrecked at 170. Uh, the only good that will come out of this fight in my eyes is hopefully Gregor Gillespie beats him bad enough to get a fucking bonus so he can pay for a new fucking haircut. Because the dude fucking needs it. Dude. But um, this is just another case of um, Kevin Lee showing himself the door, in my opinion. And hopefully they'll finally cut that motherfucker because. It's it's fucking terrible. I mean, to be quite honest, um, Kevin Lee t- takes more fucking shit to the dome than a fucking hooker. It's it's time for him to fucking hang him up or go fight in a different fucking promotion where you're a bigger fish in a small pond again because at this point, the water's too deep. You can't swim. The sharks are too big. And your alligator mouth overloads your canary ass all the fucking time. It's it's time for somebody to put a definitive fucking check mark on that dude and send him fucking packing. Hopefully that's Gregor Gillespie because you know what? On that rise that he's got right now, it's a slow, mediocre rise. It's not fucking massive. But I've been watching him. He, he does solid work. He's still got a bit to round out his game completely, but right now his game is more than fucking full of tools right now than he really needs to beat Kevin Lee. He can probably do with about half the tools in this toolbox and still beat Kevin Lee. Uh, at this point, I'm going Gregor Gillespie all day fucking long, and to be quite honest, I don't know how it's going to end, 
but I do know Gregor's going to win this one. But we'll see come Saturday night and go from there. I mean, it'll definitely be an interesting variable to watch um, somebody new beat Kevin Lee's ass. This is true. It's almost one of those things that you, you come to expect, but he never does anything to change your opinion about. So, no, we'll see. He really doesn't. It's fucking horseshit. And it's it's one of those things that clearly he's got some talent. He just doesn't have the brain to hold it all together. Because if he listened, if he had a coach that he actually paid attention to and did what they told him to do, Kevin Lee had potential at one point in time. He really did. And he's pissed it all away. <laughs> so, oh, I mean, what can you really do at this point? He had potential until he started fucking running his mouth and looking past people at every fucking fight. Is the second this got in the way of his training, that whole fucking training derailed. Left yep. the station, never coming back at this point because he still hasn't fixed this. And he said, Lesby ought to do it for him. Beat him bad enough to get a bonus in a new fucking haircut. Right. Yeah, because Gregor Gillespie's hair is fucking stupid looking. Sorry. He looks like a fucking... That like mop a Seagulls reject? I was going to say the mop head from fucking... Who framed Roger Rabbit in the bar scene where the guy's fucking hair is spinning. Sort of right. Thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I could see that too. Some <laughs> <laughs> odd things there. That's all. Yeah, no, I agree. But that will bring us to our next fight here. There we go. Mr. Hot Balls himself, Derek the Black Beast Lewis versus Blagoy Ivanov. Now, this is an interesting matchup for a couple of different reasons here. Derek Lewis has really been out for a hot minute with a couple of injuries that he's gotten repaired, that he's been doing slow rebuild from, trying to do things right, trying to get back into proper condition shape. Ivanov, on the other hand, has been pretty fucking busy in the octagon and has been surprising a lot of people, myself included. Now, I will say this. Any man who can literally take a knife to the heart, die, come back, and keep kicking ass as a professional fighter that is Ivanov's story. He was literally stabbed in the heart. There's a giant scar right there. You will see this weekend Give that it. you can't miss. He has a chunk missing from his chest where he got stabbed in the fucking heart. And he is a bad son of a bitch despite that fact. Now, the issue that I have is that most of the guys that he has been fighting against, that he's been wrecking, tend to be more along the striker side whereas Derek Lewis is not just a striker Derek Lewis is a striker Derek Lewis is a wrestler Derek Lewis is a somewhat grappler but Derek Lewis is a very much total package even despite having a questionable gas tank sometimes but that's also one of the things that he's been working on here so this is one of those situations where we've got a big guy who is tough as shit versus a rebuilding big guy who is tough as shit but has a pretty decent toolbox overall i think in this situation we're going to see the old Derek lewis become the new Derek lewis i think we're going to see everything we used to love 
about the Black Beast in better condition now that he's back. Not that Ivanov isn't a problem. He clearly is. But I think in this situation, we're going to get a little hot ball action. I think we are getting back the old Derek Lewis. I think that hunger is back, and I think he's coming to kick some ass again. You know, um, this fight, I'm not that dude. I have nothing but fucking respect and fucking admiration for it. You literally fucking dead with a knife in your chest. Come back and you're fighting in the biggest fucking MMA promotion in the entire fucking planet. And yeah, he's been he's been wrecking some people. However, most of those people he's been fighting have been uh, what I will call hot and cold fighters. Is, um, they'll go on a hot streak, but then they go deathly fucking cold. Uh, don't know. I'm not taking anything away from him. Um, old Baga has got it done, but it, there's there's something to be said when you're fighting fighters that are not always the same fighter every time they go in. Win, lose, or draw. These guys that he's been fighting, they're hot and cold fighters. You don't always know what you're going to get with them. Derek Lewis has been a staple in this division for the last couple of years. And I, I can say more than the last couple of years because there was a point when I do remember an early Octagon interview with fucking Derek Lewis after a fight where he was calling out a one fucking Mr. Brown for beating on women. He said, where's Ronda Rousey's fine ass at? I remember this. Now, this has been quite a few years ago because this is when Ronda was still fighting and still ru ruining the division at this point. So take that with a grain of salt. He's been around the business for a long fucking time, and we've always seen the same thing out of him. His great game has progressed. However, there is one big fucking hole that he does have that I've seen in every one of his fights where this happens to him. When he ends up on his back, he's fucking terrible off of his fucking back. Fucking miserable. Like, as bad as Francis Ngannou. If Francis Ngannou off his back is fucking miserable too. And the reason why you don't see it a lot, because Francis Ngannou doesn't get put on his back very often. So which um, brings up this other point. These two, him and Francis, fucking worst fight in UFC fucking history. Two guys that are known for knocking people's fucking blocks off with one shot knockout power. Worst fight ever. However, both of them also after the fight said they respected each other's power way too fucking much, which is why that was such a garbage fight. But we're not talking about that. That anomaly aside, because I will call that fight an anomaly, is that's all there is to it. It's that weird fucking outlier on your fucking chart that you're going, how the fuck did I get that result? Derek Lewis has been steady. Every fucking time, you know exactly what you're going to see from him. What he has been doing lately, he's been rounding out his toolbox and getting healthy. Well, he's had he's been known to have back problems, and he's had a lot of them. In his last fight where they made him fight DC for the belt, that was some bullshit. I'm calling it right now. 
they basically put a dump truckload of money in front of his house and says, here, take this so DC can have one successful defense so we can call him the champ champ. And then we'll let him get wrecked by Stipe again. But yeah. In this case, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I'm on the Black Beast side of the house this time. Um, I don't have no offense, dude. But it's Derek Lewis's time again. Now that he's healing up well, he looked when I saw the faceoffs earlier this week. They did. He looks a little bit. He looks a little bit more trimmed up, which that's a scare. That's a scary fucking sign for anybody in that division. Because generally, with trimmed up, that means you've worked on your gas tank. And him with a gas tank, that's a scary proposition for anybody. I mean. Uh, was it the fight before um, his DC fight? His gas tank was fucking shot, and he got lucky with a fucking one-punch KO. I'll say it. That was the puncher's chance fucking win. Absolutely. And Absolutely. He, don't get me wrong. He meant to throw that punch where he threw it. It just so happened that guy's head was right in the right spot for the right button to be touched. Don't get me wrong. He can hit you just about anywhere in your head and fucking hit the button. The dude's got that much power, but... I think what we're going to see here is we're going to see him go straight out to his old ways. He's going to be in his face, and he's going to be laying leather. It's not going to be a good day. I think somebody's going to be going for a single leg on the referee when this is all over and done with. And it ain't going to be Derek Lewis. To be honest, I think he gets it done within the second round. I don't think this one goes to the decision. He might even get it in the first, but there's no way this fight goes to the decision one way or another. I'm inclined to agree. Um, I, I don't think there's a chance this fight sees three rounds. Um, there is, I agree, a 100% chance that this could end in round one, especially if Derek has been doing what it seems like he's been doing. And uh, like you mentioned here, Francis Ngannou versus Derek Lewis was quite literally the worst, not just aesthetically, but numbers-wise. It was the absolute worst Heavyweight matchup in UFC history. Least amount of strikes thrown. Least amount of significant strikes landed. Least amount of octagon control time because neither one of them had octagon control. There was zero aggression in the whole fucking fight. Now, the interesting thing about that matchup is that both of those gentlemen, since that glorious dumpster fire that it was happened, have done a full 180 get the fuck back to what got me to the show that is what got me or has me excited the most about this weekend here because despite Derek lewis having a serious surgery and then rehab from that the videos that we've seen of him training because if you follow his social media he gives you little glimpses into his work the videos of him training look like the old Derek lewis that we used to see when he first started coming in when he was first hungry before he ever had that gun shy moment and we can see the same thing with Nganu now that he's back after what he did with Kane, what he did with fucking JDS, what he's done since that shit show. Both of these gentlemen have used that horrible representation of fighting and used it to rebuild the fire within them. And I think this is a situation where that fire is just going to be a little too fucking hot for uh, poor Mr. Ivanov this weekend. Yeah, and uh, one thing I do want to, I, I can't stress this enough, that fucking fight between him and Angana was an outlier event. That's something you will never see again out of those two. 
yeah, before no. that fight, they were both in this same fucking boat where they were just destroying motherfuckers. Yep. KO, like we really thought that was going to be the slugfest knockout fest of the fucking century. Oh yeah, it had prospect to be the greatest heavyweight striking throwdown we had ever fucking seen, and we got the total opposite. Yeah, those guys got nervous about each other's power because uh, I think how hyped the fight was, to be quite honest. Yeah, I, I agree. I think they it, both had so much hype because of what they had respectively done individually that coming in, they were both afraid of getting done what they'd been doing to other people, and it turned it into a fuck ton of just meh. Yeah, it was, it was crazy to see that, but they both went back to their old ways of just fucking maliciously destroying each other, which makes me wonder. See, it's been three months since we've heard from Mangano. Where the fuck is his fight? Yeah, no, if you watch his uh, social media, specifically his Instagram, he's pretty pissed off right now that the UFC has not been able to put him into a fight. I would say literally one every three posts, if not more than that, are fr from Francis Ngannou, are either literal hashtag or fucking at symbol UFC, when is my next fight going to be? Or a picture of him like flexed out in the fucking gym or like standing yoked fucking muscles ripped saying who wants who's going to be my next opponent. Like he's actively looking for a fight and has been for a fucking minute the ufc just cannot seem to figure out what the fuck they're going to do with him right now so as, as shitty as it is that we're not seeing francis in the octagon right now that is not his fault in any stretch of the imagination if you follow him but that will bring us on to what has commonly come to be referred to as the people's co-main event or the people's main event depending on who that particular matchup is the third wheel segment as it were in the card lineup here going from bottom to top of course um this weekend we get a particularly interesting matchup here steven Wonderboy thompson versus vincente luke now we have seen for lack of a better phrase the best and worst of wonder boy at this point in his fairly young ufc career realistically we saw him come in hotter than fucking lava just absolutely dismantling and destroying people and then we've seen him getting flatlined we've seen him getting wrestle fucked we've seen him just getting countered to death in a couple of different situations now. And it seems like the initial glitz and glamor that wonder boy came in with has definitely diminished a little bit. The problem is, is that he's far from done. He's had a couple of questionable decision losses as well as a couple of serious KOs, but he hasn't seemed to have lost a step in his ability, in his confidence He's pretty good about saying, yeah, I lost. It's not the end of the world. I'll go back, train what I lost from, and we'll get back after it again, which you have to fucking respect, especially in the fight game here where so many guys and gals take an ass whooping like it's the end of their life and literally aren't seen or heard from again. I'm not mentioning any names because we already mentioned your name. But this is one of those situations where that's not how Wonder Boy rolls. Yeah, he lost. Yeah, he got fucking KO'd. And he will give props to the guy that KO'd him. And then he gets back in the fucking gym. 
He gets back on the fucking horse and he gets back in there. And the good thing about Wonder Boy is that without all of his four losses as a professional, they were not all big knockouts. I think two of them were knockouts and then two of them were judges' decisions. So it's not like he's lost his chin because he's lost a couple in a row. Yeah, he got KO'd, but we've seen many a fighter KO'd and come back from that without an issue, without losing the chin from a singular KO. Now, the problem is, standing across the octagon from him is a gentleman who I have been talking about, whether there was a microphone on or off, since his debut on The Ultimate Fighter. Vincente Luque has been slowly and surely working his way through the entire UFC as much as they will give him a fucking inch to crawl on and just digging his way to fucking recognition. And it drives me insane that they have not put more publicity behind this young man until now. I get it. 17-6-1 is not your future champion's record for the most part when you get a newer fighter coming into an organization. On the other hand, when you see the way that Vincente Luque fights, how intelligently he moves, when you see how determined he is to fight, always campaigning for who am I going to be up against next? Where's my next fight coming from? When am I going to be able to get back in there? You can't deny that this young man is exactly what you want to see on the main card. He's not the type to back down. He's a carry me out on my shield kind of guy, which everybody fucking loves. But he's also got a good fight IQ and he's very elusive. And when you're fighting somebody like Wonder Boy who takes that point karate, sideways, snake movie, hip wavy fucking stance that's not easy to fucking go against, a guy who's unconventional and elusive like Vincente Luque makes for an interesting set of fireworks that could potentially go off. Because while Wonder Boy has great kicks, he doesn't have that one-shot punching power. Vincente Luque, I feel, is kind of a counterpoint to that in that he's got some kicks, but he's not known for his massive leg power like Wonder Boy is. On the other side of that, he's got some fucking crisp striking and has put more than one person on their ass from catching that clean shot. So with having seen Wonder Boy have problems in the past with guys who can aggressively get in and put that fierce striking, put those real strong fucking hands on him right in his fucking wheelhouse being an issue for him, I think this gives Vincente Luque an interesting advantage here. Um, I don't think Wonder Boy is going to be able to get around him here. I think Wonder Boy, for as much fucking respect and praise as I give him, and I absolutely fucking think he deserves it, I think he's just a little bit too set in his ways as far as his defense. You see him change up his offense. You see him change up his attacks. But one thing about Wonder Boy is when he gets clipped, he chin tucks. Tyron figured that out real fucking quick, and it cost him a couple of times. Several other gentlemen have figured that out, and it has cost him now a couple of times. I think in this situation where you've got Vincente Luque, who is such a forward pressure, smooth and crisp striker, being able to see enough tape that even I, as an armchair quarterback, can tell Wonder Boy's got a chin issue and when he gets defensive, I think we're going to see another sleepy time from old Wonder Boy. I think Vincente takes it in the late second, if not early third. I don't think it's going to be one-sided. I think this is going to be an absolute fucking war, but I think this is going to be the beginning, hopefully, of a nice rise for Vincente Luque heading towards the top of the pack. Vincente's been on a rise already. 
I'll say that already. He's been moving in the right direction here. Um, with that being said, he's a fucking hell of a kickboxer himself. Um, Stephen Thompson, fucking, he's, look, he's no Lyoto Machida when it comes to karate. I'll say that all right. However, he does have a karate style all of his own, which fucking fantastic. He's had a he had a wonderful rise. He's ran on some hard times here lately, even with the unlucky fucking one punch knockout that was um, Anthony Pettis. Which hey, but he's got a puncher's chance. But um, I think this is going to come down to who can manage the distance better with their kicks because. This, I do not expect to see ground at all. Neither one of these guys are going to... I think this is going to be our big stand-up banger where these guys are just going to be throwing. And it's going to be a whole lot of kicks between the two of them, especially from Steve Thompson, because he does like to throw a lot of kicks. I think what this is going to come down to is who can be more elusive in this fight? Who's going to manage the distance better? Oh, uh, they're both still very young into their UFC careers. They, it's a bottle horse apiece when you look at how far they are in. The difference here uh, between them really is Stephen Thompson ran up to the top quick, fast, and in a hurry, and then they had a very quick downfall. Oh. Uh, the one thing that I'm going to say here on this, I doubt that this one goes the distance. Somebody is going to end up having sleepy time, whether they like it or not. Now, I, right now, I'm inclined to say that Cynthia Luque is probably going to win this fight, purely on the fact that Stephen Thompson's chin has been called into question on more than one occasion at this point. Now, with that being said, Stephen Thompson has a very legitimate chance of running the tables on this fight because of his point style fighting from karate, managing distance, using his kicks to keep people at the distance he wants to fight at. Do I think Wonderboy can win this? By all means, yes. Do I think he's going to? I honestly don't know. I'm having a hard time actually saying who's going to win this. However, if I have to flip a coin on this one and pick a winner, I'm going to give Stephen Thompson the – I'm going to give him the fucking shadow of a doubt here and say, you know what, yeah, you're going to win this one, but purely because I think he's going to manage distance better than Vicente Luque purely because of his point style of karate fighting. Now, that's not to say Luque's not going to come in there and just fucking dismantle him, because he very, he, he's, he very well could, but I don't think that he's going to manage the distance as well as Wonderboy, and I really think that this, this fight is going to come down to, because we're not going to see it go to the ground in one way, shape, or form. I think this might be the turnaround point for Wonderboy to get back on the fucking horse again, but who knows? It could be that um, other turning point where they released him. I mean, it could be the next fucking um, guy that gets signed over to Bellator or 1FC. I mean, it's kind of a toss-up for me, but I really 
want to give the benefit of the doubt to Wonderboy on this one just because I think he'll manage distance better than Vicente. He, but it is going to be a hell of a stand-up striking war, and I think it's not going to be one that we're going to see finished early. If it gets finished, it's going to be finished late, mid-third round. And it could go either way, but I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to Wonderboy on this just purely because I think he'll manage distance better. I can definitely see that being a way that it could play out here. Um, I think in this situation, regardless of the outcome, realistically, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Not that it's going to play out how it gets there, because like I said, this is not going to be an easy fight for either one of these gentlemen here, but it is going to be a fight worth watching. Now, with that being said, this is the point in the show where us hardcore guys take a step back here. We've been aggro with our opinions up on the mic. So we kind of take a step back and we, we dial it down a notch. We relax just for a few minutes here and we bring in someone who isn't quite as aggressively fanatic like uh, TJ and myself and some of the other co-hosts that I've had are more often than not. Anyway, I won't say that this person doesn't get fanatical, but for the most part, they stay fairly casual we're going to bring in our own favorite filthy casual for the casual corner here the one and only miss loomy streams i'm i'm, I'm digging this new setup bro i'm digging this new setup <laughs> anywho let's get on to the main card I where did I just put my notes? So I was I was all fumed and ready to go, did all my casual research, and then I see a freaking Snickers commercial with almond maple syrup. It just, it threw me off. It really just threw me off. It just lost everything. All right, here we go. Anywho, <laughs> yep, here we go. Yep, yep, yep. Kelvin versus Darren, we got this. All right, so I did a little bit of research, and for some reason, I actually mixed up Kelvin with Vincente because I was digging. I was digging so hard because I was like, I think I remember liking Vincente. I didn't even realize he was on the card. I could have just scrolled down one and been like, oh, that's the guy I thought I liked. <laughs> so I was digging into this Kelvin dude, and the more I was digging it's just mm, I really get turned away when people start talking trash and I just I didn't like some of the things that this man was saying let's see put him out in a devastating fashion was the quote that he said he was going to do for Darren Till since Darren Till's in the way of him getting gold But then there's some more notable things. He actually got a decision against Israel. I was, I'm okay with that. I don't, I didn't mind Israel too much. Um, he's Wait, over what? So that was another plus. I was like, I kind of like this guy, even though he's not who I thought he was. Israel got the decision over him. That's what I meant. <laughs> he he managed to stay in for a decision. Was yes, where was he went, went to decision with Israel. Yeah, like five rounds. He's, he suffered through it. Like it yes. There you yeah. go. 
he survived it. That's where I was going with that. If you survive against Israel, I guess it's still kind of a winner. And then after I did all of this, I just, I was looking at his stats and 44 KO, TKO could be better. 25% submission could be better. 31% decision. Not too thrilled. Not too, I don't really like decisions. Which is why I'm such a fan of the person on the main fight. And then we go to Darren Till. And I was already like on the fence about Kelvin at this point. And then Delvin, or not Delvin, that's a mix of both the names. Team Delvin now. Darren Till, <laughs> we got 58 per, or 59% KO, TKO, 12% submission, 29% decision. Did better than Kelvin there. Um, he's his own hero. His cockiness kind of just like made the playing field really even with Kelvin at this point. Because at first I was like, Kelvin's a little cocky. I don't like this. And then he says, he, and then Darren says he's his own hero. Darren Till is very, very much his biggest fan. He seems pretty, pretty gosh darn badass, except for his fight against Jorge Masvidal. Right. Well, and that's the thing that you have to remember about Darren Till. Darren Till comes from the land of 170. This is his first time moving up to fight at 185. And he's fighting the guy who just fought for the interim belt last fight. He's stepping up and he's stepping right up to a challenge at that. So and he's, I remember reading it up, like people on the team were saying he's not having to go through like all the fatigue for cutting too much weight now. So I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I don't like watching people starve themselves. Exactly. Creepy looking. Um, honestly, the way that Kelvin is a hard, a hard heavy hitter, I can see if he catches one of the, if Darren catches one of those hits, it's going to be pretty devastating. But at the same time, Darren seems really fucking quick. And he seems more like a pew, 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 fisty kind of guy, where Kelvin's kind of like, boom. So if you don't land that boom, you're going to get pew, pewed. That was, I really don't know which way this is going to go. If, I think there's a chance Kelvin will knock him out. That's just me being hopeful because that's how I hope most of the fights go. But I wouldn't mind seeing Darren take him down with some quick, weird, feisty action. To the next people. Oh, wait, that's that's not even the right way. Which way is the right way? Did I not the even take... I didn't even take notes on Jorge Masvidal versus Nate Diaz. <laughs> Just because I already know how I want this, how I want this one to go. I'm sorry, Nate Diaz. I've heard wonderful things about you, but there was only a few things that got me into watching this and got me to the point of being a casual in the corner, and it was watching my first fight with Rose Nama Nunez. That got me to the table. Then I kind of like I was skirting around, just watching, just watching. And then all of a sudden I see Jorge Masvidal come out of nowhere with a knee. A knee. Just greatness. And this is the kind of stuff that I look forward to when I'm watching this. So he says it wasn't that great of a fight and he felt like it was a down step for him. Totally agree. Ben Askren's a little puss. Um, but still, 
I admired this fight because it's the first one I got to witness and it's what got me to stick around. So there's only a few notable names up there being George Masvidal, or Jorge Masvidal, Jim Miller, Valentina, Max Holloway, and Rose Namajunas. These, these, are, these are my favorite people so far. Um, I honestly haven't even looked at Nate Diaz, though. <laughs> haven't even. I'm just, I'm rooting for Jorge all the way. That's all. Oh, I mean, it's it's hilarious and understandable at the same time. It this is the casual corner, and this is the Lumi's casual way. So I I dig it. I get it. I understand. Um, I will say, before this weekend gets here, I would advise doing a little bit of research on Nate Diaz because he has a pretty fucking admirable and respectable highlight reel, just as much as Jorge does. Oh no, trust me, I definitely enjoyed the five hundred seconds in the little cubicle. Yeah, that was that was a great fucking segment where they put Jorge, Dana, and Nate Diaz respectively each in a tiny little fucking room and made them answer questions for 500 seconds. That was beautiful, and I think everybody should go watch that as well. There was plenty that I have seen with him. Like he definitely has been in a really good spot for a while. I don't even know how he maintains that being a vegan. That's that seems wild. Like you have to be on your shit to be in that kind of shape with that kind of stamina on a yep. vegan diet. Like even though he said he has fish and eggs, like I did. I was gonna, yeah, I was going to say he does go pescatarian back and forth. He'll have fish or he'll have eggs or lighter proteins once in a while. But yeah, for the most part, he's full fucking vegan warrior, man. Like there, it, there's some impressive stuff. Like it's, I'm excited for this fight, but. I didn't really look through his stats. I've seen his highlights. I've seen it all. I'm still going for Jorge. Tickle fight, bro. Hashtag tickle fight. I get it. I can understand that. I I absolutely support the hashtag tickle fight movement as well. So I get it. I respect that. I appreciate your casuality. No problem. Anytime. (sighs) So... With our casuality under wraps now, that will bring us into the potatoes of the meat and potatoes segment that is the meat and potatoes of this meat and potatoes portion of the show, the co-main event of the evening. That being one Kelvin Gastelum versus the debut at middleweight of one Darren Till. Now, to be fair, neither one of these gentlemen are coming into this particular fight off of a great previous match. Kelvin absolutely got worked by Israel Adesanya. Darren Till was unfucking conscious for a reason. Neither one of them had a great last outing. The difference is this is a step in an off direction for both of these gentlemen, in my opinion here. Kelvin is used to fighting guys a little taller than him. We're looking at a full four inch height difference here in this situation here. I think Israel is 5'11", I believe. Uh, so it's you know a little bit of a difference, but not quite. When you crack that six foot mark versus a 5'8 gentleman, it's a little more than just a look up here. The problem is when smaller guys, at least for the most part, fight taller guys, especially with a style like Kelvin's, you see more of that Whitaker-like attack where they run 
the charging loop, the charging leaps, rather, the, the jumping punches that tend to put all their momentum forward. When it works, it absolutely works, and it works like a motherfucker. The problem is, sometimes when you go against a taller guy and you throw those charging, leaping hooks like that, the taller guy is familiar with that procedure and can do a step-off counter that will put you on your face. That's one of Darren Till's specialties. Despite him having a fairly less than impressive uh, last fight, having a couple of issues that have slowed him down, we've seen moments of what Darren Kill, excuse me, Darren Till is capable of. We've seen him show a, a decent variety of his tools, but clearly with the way that the last couple of rounds or last couple of fights have went, they weren't all working the way that we'd hoped they were. The thing that I'm saying here that's important, though, is that now Darren Till has a little more gas tank and a little more power behind those tools. Like we said before, going up doesn't mean that you get a chin back. Your chin doesn't change because your weight class does. But Darren Till's chin, in my opinion, was never really the issue. I feel that as big as Darren Till is, the weight class itself, the weight cut itself was his biggest opponent when you cut that much weight when you deplete your body of that much of its natural fluids it has an impact on your ability to recover which is one of the most important things in fighting not your ability to give a shot not your ability to take a shot your ability to recover from a shot everybody gets punched in the face this is fighting that's going to happen you're going to get at least one punch out whether it's significant or barely grazes that's going to happen this is fighting the important part, the most crucial part, is how can you recover from getting hit? And at 170, I don't feel that Darren Till was giving his body a legitimate chance to properly recover. The nice thing is that if anyone in the UFC understands that particular struggle in detail, it's Kelvin Gastelum, who initially as well thought he was going to cut down and be a 170-pound fighter until he ran into a very similar problem where he couldn't take shots and he didn't have the gas tank that he needed. He couldn't recover quick enough. He didn't have as much to go with as he's used to having naturally. So he moved up and we've seen him have great success at 185 pounds to the extent that his last fight was for the interim championship, the step down from the champ, the top of the top that you can get without fighting the champion himself actively which working backwards now he essentially did fight the champion because israel is the champion israel beat whitaker so he essentially went five rounds hard rounds with the guy who's running his division now so we've seen that moving up for him was a great move the thing is darren till is in a similar boat so Kelvin knows the differences to expect as a guy who's just making that first step. Now that he's a little more acclimated to fighting at 185 here, he's a little more used to the differences. So he knows some of the things Darren Till is going to be going up against. Now, I think the thing that's going to play the biggest factor here is like Lumi talked about. It's the ego because as much as I like the fighting styles of both of these gentlemen, they both have such massive fucking egos. It's hard to understand how they can walk through doorways sometimes. Those noggins are so fucking 
inflated. The difference I think here is that Darren's head is that big without having properly earned it on the stage that he is on. That's not to say that he hasn't had great performances and he doesn't belong where he is, but he's acting as if he's already great in the UFC where he's relatively new to the UFC and has had a couple of serious speed bumps slow his fucking path on down. Whereas the other side of that, Kelvin has had great success in the UFC, but has an unrealistic aspect to his ego in doing so, I feel. Kelvin feels that he's going to beat everyone because he's been there. Darren feels that he's going to beat everyone because he's the baddest motherfucker there is. If nothing else, Kelvin's is a little bit less delusional, but the problem is, is your ego can be your worst enemy no matter what you're doing. And I think in this situation, Darren Till being his own biggest fan is actually going to be a little detrimental for him here. I don't think he's going to have a bad performance, but I also don't think throwing your first time in a new weight class should be done against a guy who just challenged for the fucking belt. I think he's bitten off a little more than he can chew here. And I understand he wants to make a statement. He wants to show that this is where he belongs and that he's going to be a contender in this division. But at the same time, we say it all the fucking time around here. You have to crawl before you can walk. And if you take off going too fucking quick, sometimes when you trip up, you end up face first on the canvas. And I think this is going to be one of those situations for as great as Till's countering is, for as great as I think his abilities will be in general at 185, I think Kelvin, for the, sh the small little giant-headed motherfucker that he is, has some great striking and his combination work is really, despite his one-punch pew style, like Lumi said, those pews put motherfuckers to sleep and they're well-placed. And I think this is a situation where Darren Till's going to let his ego get him a little too comfortable here. And I think Kelvin's going to put him to sleep. I think we're going to see Darren go to bed. I think it's going to happen middle of the third round. I think it's going to be late. I think it's going to be a hell of an early fight. But I think middle of the third round, I think Kelvin is just going to show that experience at 185 that Kelvin, or excuse me, that Darren just doesn't have yet. And I think he's going to throw one of those nice leaping shots. And I think we're going to see Darren go timber this evening, this weekend, rather. All right. He said some things that make some sense. You also failed to mention some very legitimate things here as well. Yes, Kelvin did just fucking fight the champ, albeit he wasn't the champ at the time. Put up a hell of a fucking fight. He still tells the fucking ass. That dude has a bigger ego than fucking Darren Jones. I will say it all right. He has a way bigger fucking ego. And I'm not saying Darren Hill doesn't have a big ego as well, because he sure as fuck does. I don't think this fight's going to have a goddamn thing to do with the Eagles. I mean, look, the only thing I can say if the Eagles going to come into play here at all, it's going to fuck Kelvin Gastelum because he already has plans on walking through there until with ease, which is not going to be the case. A couple of things you failed to mention here previously while you were talking about him. He said he's still a little green. I, I, 
and well maybe not green was not the word but st still in the shallow waters no that motherfucker's been in the deep waters he's beaten the likes of donald Cerrone. he's beaten stephen wonderboy thompson who was actually fighting the fight prior to him his first loss in the ufc was to the at time champ tyron woodley he lost via submission then who does he lose to next the guy who's in the main event Jorge Masvidal, all at 170. Guess what? Calvin Gastelum didn't do anywhere near that much damage at 170. He got fucking wrecked. That's why he moved up a weight class. And he's done phenomenally, which is why he's sitting at the top of the stack. I'm not going to sit here and say that Darren Till is bitten off more than he can chew. There is no fucking way in hell that he is bitten off more than he can chew in this case. Look, both of them have fought at 174. Yes, Kelvin's got a little more fucking ingrainment into the 185 here just because he's been here for a while because he couldn't hack it at 170. Whereas Darren Till could. He had a fucking title shot already. Kelvin Gastelum? Still hasn't had a title shot. He had an interim title shot. And couldn't even get that one done. Albeit against Israel Asanya, I don't think um, Darren Till would have had a chance against him either. But either way, he hasn't actually had a title shot. So if we're going to start playing those kind of cards right now, I have to say that Darren Till has a little bit cleaner of a record than Kelvin Gastelum when it comes to this. Purely on those facts alone, I mean, he beat fucking Donald Cerrone. And he did it in a dominant fashion. He beat Wonder Boy, he got subbed, and then he got knocked out by Game Red. Huh, who hasn't Game Red knocked out at this point? Look, if we're going to MMA math this here, I can write the Game Red thing off because Game Red just fucking destroys people. It is what it is. Kelvin's. We can write off Kelvin's loss to fucking Izzy, because Izzy fucking destroys people. It is what it is. Look, to be honest, this fight, I think, is about a horse piece. I think this is probably one of the most evenly matched fights that somebody coming up from a weight class below is getting. And to be honest, I think it's going to end up being a hell of a war. Darren Till is a fucking masterful counter-striker. We've seen it. Kelvin is going to have to get in the phone booth in order to stop that. And giving up those four inches in height, and I think it's a four-inch reach advantage, we're going to see a lot of that in and out, which that plays well into Darren Till's game. However, Kelvin is already well ingrained into 185 here. And he know, he's been fighting nothing but taller people than him. So he hasn't had a reach advantage in God knows how long. So he's obviously got that figured out. Otherwise, he wouldn't be where he's at in the division. So to be quite honest, I think this is going to come down to a coin flip. I think you're not giving Darren Till enough credit. I really don't. And to be honest, their egos aside, this is a great fucking matchup. The only problem I see, Kelvin's already looking past Darren Till, and that's always a fucking problem can't look past the former title challenger, albeit one division lower. It, it, 
it's just not something that you should be doing at this point. Look, you have to give the man his due. The only thing that might fuck Till on this is because he just got into fucking New York, so he might still be a little bit jet-lagged when it comes fight time. I'll throw the other side of this because we were talking about it pre-show. Calvin's coming all the way out from fucking West Coast. He's coming from England. They're about a horse apiece on time change difference. However, the catch on this one, Kelvin got here a fucking week early, so he's had time to acclimate. So if anything, and we're going to lean on something here, that might fuck there until a little bit, just because he hasn't had the extra time on boots on ground. But to be honest, I think this one's going to be a fucking coin toss on this one. Because I know Kelvin Gastelum can get in and out, We've seen him do it with all of the fighters he's walked before being taller than him. Darren Till, we know, can counter-strike. We've seen him. That's how he's put a lot of opponents away, counter-striking. And he does have a mean, mean fucking hand to him. We've seen him one-punch KO people. He's got it there. To be honest, I'm having a hard time calling this fight. It, not that... Neither one of these two guys are my go-tos. They're both fun to watch. I enjoy both of them. However, if I'm let me throw myself into a casual corner for a moment. If I was going to do this purely on who I dislike more, I would say Darren Till gets the win because I really don't like Kelvin Gaston. There is something about that dude that just irks the fuck out of me. I don't know why. Look. I've seen a lot of the videos. I see his home life, things like that, spending time with his family before going to fights. That's awesome, dude. You can always keep your family first. But there's something about the way he talks. He reminds me of uh, non-champion Henry Cejudo. He's much. got that same fucking type of mentality as Henry Cejudo. However, Henry's the fucking champ right now, so I have to call him what he is. Calvin talks like he is, but he's not. Darren Till realizes he's been fucked up the last two fights, but he still has a big fucking ego. Both of them do. Um, if I'm going to call the fight one way or another, I think Darren Till is going to take it. And I honestly, this fight, I see going to a decision. I really do. I don't think either one of them gets this put away on this one. But I would say it's going to go to a decision. And I think Darren Tills might outpoint him purely on the counter-striking ability. But uh, it, for me, it's a fucking coin flip of a fight. Like, it really is. And being as these two are both going to be at a, well, Darren Tills is going to be at a more natural weight class now. That spells danger for the rest of the division as well. Because he's, he's going to put up some good numbers. We'll see how his chin holds up after the Masvidal knockout. Because he didn't get knocked out when he fucking fought. Woodley, he just got sunk. And you get submitted, you get submitted, it doesn't hurt your chin at all. But those knockouts, that's those are called diminishing returns for you that don't know what a diminishing return is. It means that shit goes away, but it doesn't always come back fully. It'll come back a lot, but not quite full. So we'll see how that plays out. Mm. I'm going to say decision there until and it's going to be a slim margin i would think it's even going to be a split decision it could go either way because i'm still in the coin flip stature on this one i can see that 
A uh, couple of counterpoints, though. Um, the uh, Darren Till Cowboy Cerrone fight, I don't consider a legitimate resume stamp for Darren Till for two reasons. One, that was Cowboy's first forte at 170, and Cowboy said himself he did zero research on them and did zero training at 170, just went in there and went after it and has said since then that was one of the dumbest things he's done in his UFC career because he got shown exactly why 170 is not 155 and why guys that fight up there are not the same guys that fight at 155. So I do put an asterisk next to that. But the other reason is that his win against Wonderboy, for the most part, in my opinion, was because they fought in England. Had that fight taken place in Las Vegas, I don't believe the judges would have given that one to Till. I think that would have been a Wonderboy win. Not that that wasn't a great fight by both gentlemen, but that was close enough. I feel that that was one of those situations where the hometown judges, even if they aren't explicitly on your side, are always on your fucking side. It's like going against a Brazilian in Brazil. You better knock that motherfucker out because if it goes to the judges, the foreign guy is not going to beat a Brazilian in Brazil on a judge's count unless there was some fuckery afoot. I think it was the same situation over in England with Till versus Wonderboy as well. So not that you know, not to take anything away from Darren. Like I said, this is not going to be an easy fight. But no, I can under I can understand that. Look, I can definitely understand that one. The Don Cerrone one. Look, I just know he goes in and fights no matter what. He does it absolutely, absolutely. That one I can't put an asterisk by that because he's done that with so many other fights. That's a fucking cop out answer. But, you well, know. but the exception was this was the first time he did that in a different weight class. That was Cowboy's forte at 170. That was the oh. first time he went up there. So not only did he not do his research, he didn't prepare for a whole different fucking weight class either. And Darren Till showed him why that was a bad idea. Hey, I-, I can understand that. But, I mean, like I said, one asterisk you can't put up there, he still had a fucking title fight. Calvin Gaxlum has not. This is absolutely true. Absolutely true. Albeit with an asterisk that he made it there. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a nice way of putting that, I would say. But no, it's it's going to be interesting to see how that one shakes out here. Uh, I I generally don't like Kelvin either, but I think in this situation, he really is he's he's going to be my favorite in this situation for this situation only. I want to make a point to say. I'm not jumping on the fucking Kevin hype train by any stretch of the imagination. I think that fake belt wearing motherfucker needs a little bit more ass whooping than Izzy gave him. But I think in this particular situation, I think he'll be all right. Uh, I think he's looking past a really dangerous individual and that's a fucking bad sign. It, it absolutely is. And and I agree that could absolutely come back to bite him in the ass. But I think just the all the weird quirks of this particular matchup coming together in my opinion, I think are going to weigh a little little more beneficial in Kelvin's side, but we, we will absolutely have to tune in to see. Now, that being said, that will bring us to the big old tomahawk ribeye meat of the meat and potatoes that is the meat and potatoes in this meat and potatoes segment of the meat and potatoes of my damn show, the main event of the fucking evening the baddest motherfucker in the game title. The first recreation of something that was in Nate Diaz's head, he says, for a long time. Something that was literally 
manifested into existence by Nate Diaz calling out Jorge Masvidal after the knee from hell sent Ben Askren back to the land of mediocrity. Jorge Masvidal versus Nate Diaz for the baddest motherfucker title. An actual belt created by the one and only Dana White to be presented to the winner of the match by none other than Dwayne The Rock Johnson himself in Madison Square Garden this Saturday night. Ladies and gentlemen, this might be one of the most anticipated matches we have seen all year long, and we almost didn't even fucking get to see it, thanks to USADA and their fuckery. Fuck the golden snitch. He needs to get his ass out of UFC. That whole partnership is fucking sketching suspect. And I, for one, hope that after this fight ends Saturday night, Nate Diaz goes back on his word to not name whoever the high-powered asshole who told him to keep his mouth shut about the USADA violation until after the fight and to take the money. I really hope we find out who the fuck that was because that piece of shit is detrimental to this fucking sport, to this fucking world, and we need him exposed. That being said, we have got the West Coast gangster, Mr. 209, the Stockton slapper, Nate fucking Diaz against Street Jesus, the three-piece and a soda dispenser, the full buffet giver, the man who still has not accepted the tickle fight, hashtag tickle fight, the super necessary fighter himself, Jorge Masvidal, or Ponytail, depending on how far back you're looking into his history. This is a battle of two of the most established stand-and-bang motherfuckers in the UFC. Both of these dudes have gone around some weight classes. They've gone through top-level competition. They've gone through soup cans. They've been doing this, both of them, for nearly 20 years. This is going to be an interesting matchup of West Coast style versus that Southeast style, that Miami life versus that Cali life. Two very different but also very similar styles from two very capable and very bout that shit motherfuckers. This is going to be a matchup that there isn't an easy way to say this guy's going to win, that guy's going to win, because this, because that. Both of these gentlemen are so fucking qualified. They are both 100% game. They are both so well-rounded as fighters. There's no easy way for anyone, excuse me, let alone an armchair quarterback like myself, to definitively just come out and say, oh, this guy's going to win or that guy's going to win. This isn't how that works with a fight like this. There are some fights where even an armchair quarterback like myself can Eddie Bravo you right into exactly how the fight is going to play out, and sometimes you see it strike for fucking strike. We've had a couple of those in the last couple weeks. The guys and gals that watch those fights with me when they're actually on, because we've got a group that watch them all together online, 
they can verify some of those fights have been predictable enough that I have been able to call almost the round and time in the round and the maneuver that sets up the, there's some of these fights that you can see coming. This is the polar opposite. You can be front row fucking cage side for this fight Saturday night. And you will not have a fucking clue who's going to do what, how it's going to get to where the fuck it's going to go and who's going to be able to take it from there. This is one of those fights where all we can do is look at the two gentlemen who are getting in there and give our opinion from what we've seen from them. And when that comes down, the way that I see this particular matchup going down is that Jorge is on a fucking mission now. And he's not on a mission for a belt. He's not on a mission to be the top. He said he wants all belts. All of them. The BMF. The weight. The division up. The division down. He wants all of them. He is the embodiment of why we love Cowboy Cerrone magnified that much more we love cowboy because cowboy will take any fight against anybody on any length of notice in any weight class because that's who the fuck he is and that's how he works jorge masvidal says a very similar statement and made a point to say that when there was question about nate possibly not making it here i don't care who you put in front of me as long as you pay my fee you will see violence jorge masvidal He's always down to get in there. Nate Diaz is real similar in that he has said and continues to say, when you give him a good fight, when you give him a matchup that he can get excited for, he's there. He's down and it's going to be a fucking war. The thing with Nate Diaz, though, and Nick to a certain extent, is that they don't care about always being in there or about what the name is, who the person is that's against them for the money. Nate Diaz is one of the few fighters who's willing to bench himself, put himself on the fucking sideline and ride that bench until a fight comes along that interests him. He didn't give a shit about the belt. He didn't give a shit about the paycheck. They've got more than enough going on. This isn't about the fucking money. This isn't about the status. This is about fights that interest Nate Diaz and those we've seen are few and far between this one not only interested him but got him so fucking interested he actually called out Jorge Masvidal respectfully in the octagon we haven't seen that from Nate Diaz before that was a whole new thing not to mention the way that he got that call out was by intelligently and very fluidly and tactfully beating the shit out of Anthony Pettis which we also haven't seen style-wise from Nate Diaz before, too. My problem is that we're not used to this Nate Diaz. We don't know if this is the new Nate Diaz or if this is Nate Diaz that's this fucking hyped because of this fight. Now, I hope, as a fight fan, this is the new Nate. This is what we see from now on, that he's done sitting on the sidelines, that he's going to start manifesting the fights that he wants, and we get to see the Diaz fucking fight fury that happens in that octagon my problem is is based on his track record i'm inclined to believe this is going to be a one-off i'm inclined to believe that even though we've got a great fight ahead of us here 
We've got a hell of a main event. I don't know that realistically this is the new Nate. I'm inclined to believe that he's this hype for this. And then once we actually get to the fight and we move on from there, we're going to go back to seeing the same old Nate who's going to become a shadow and just murmuring from Twitter once in a while. And then you got Jorge. You're not paying Jorge to shut up. You're not paying Jorge to calm down. You're not paying Jorge to sit on the bench anymore. He's here. He's motivated. And he is going forward. There's no questioning whether Jorge is going to be this motivated for his next fight as he was for this fight. You look at his last fight. He was just as motivated. You look at the fight before that. He was just as motivated. You look at the fight before that. This is Jorge Masvidal. This is what he does. This is who he is. And at least for me, that's going to make the difference here. Anybody can change for one fight, but that's not going to get you where you need to be. That might put on a decent performance, but it's not going to get you where you need to be. And if where you need to be is standing in the center of that ring Saturday night, having Dwayne Johnson put the baddest motherfucker in the game title across your waist, I think you need to be consistent. And I think that means, if nothing else, that checks Nate off that column. Because Jorge is Mr. Consistent. You know what he can do, and he's going to fucking do it. Nate, not so much. Much as I don't want to say it, I don't think Nate really has a whole lot of chance to really take this against Jorge's consistency. I think that's going to be the key for me here is that Jorge does what Jorge does every time, and I think it's going to be too much in the long run. I think the BMF belt goes to Street Jesus. I think Jorge Masvidal is our BMF come Saturday night. This is probably the toughest fight I've had to break down all fucking year. This might be the toughest fight I ever have to fucking break down. Um, where to fucking start even? Well, let's just start. Let's just start with Mr. Consistent. And I'm throwing these up in air quotes because look. Just because he's chosen to be a company man and just fight whoever's in front of him doesn't make him consistent. However, he has been very consistent in whipping people's fucking ass. Even outside of the octagon, handing out three pieces in the summit. Look. The reason why this fight is the fight that it is, because both of these two are always fucking game for somebody who is worth their time. That's why there's so much mutual respect for them. As much as they're not talking shit about each other, you can bet wholeheartedly they're going to go in there and try to beat the brakes off of each other. They're going to try to hit the switch. They're going to try to send that motherfucker into orbit. They're both going to go in there with inten bad intentions. That's just how this works for these two. They've always been the same fighters. Go all the way back to the street Jesus in the street. He's been that same person. Go all the way back to Nate Diaz in his first fight inside of a fucking MF in the middle of a BJJ gym. I'm talking pre-MMA, pre-sanctioned fights. When they were fucking teenagers. They've been the same people. Nothing has fucking changed. Neither one of them have fucking changed. The only thing that has changed here 
is that they're on the world's biggest fucking stage. Nate Diaz has not changed a fucking lick. Do you know why he called that motherfucker out? Because he said he's only interested in fighting fights with bad motherfuckers. With fights that interest him. Why? Because you know what? He was not wanting to be a company man, which is why he sidelined himself. Because they were throwing shit at him that did not make sense. And people who were just not up to par or stuff with what he wanted. Can't blame a guy for doing that. You know what? That's no different than somebody leaving the UFC to go to Bellator. Because you know what? They're getting what they want. Same concept here. Except for the fact that it's Nick fucking or Nate Diaz. That's the big key here. Jorge, not a company man. I'll I'll say that. But he has been a company man in the sense of, yeah, I'm gonna take these fights because I'm here to get that money. But that's how he's always been. You feed me the money, I feed you the violence. That's how that works, man. These two, they're they're fucking traditional scrappers in the most fucking most onerous sense of being scrappers. These guys, they would have scrapped outside of the fucking UFC if the UFC didn't want to have this fight. They would have set it up on their own. They don't give a fuck. The money is a perk here. So I can't say that one is more consistent than the other. I think these has always been the same person. The only thing that makes it look like fucking he changed He's fighting Anthony Pettis. Anthony Pettis has been on a fucking downward spiral. Look, he was, Anthony Pettis was losing fight to fucking Wonder Boy and got a lucky punch that knocked Wonder Boy out. That's all. And why did Diaz take that fight with Pettis? Because Pettis has been around for a really long time. Go all the way back to WEC. So he's like, he's been around. He's fought the best of the best. Of course he wants to fight him. Same thing with why he called out Masvidal. He saw Masvidal throw that crazy fucking five-second hitter-quitter. And that Masvidal's been around for a long time. That's why he called him out, because the fight makes sense to him. He doesn't want to fight, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, I call him suckers. He said he only wants to fight bad motherfuckers. And if you're not on the list, guess what? He'll sideline himself again, and I can't blame him if he does. Jorge, he's going to fight no matter what. Whether they put a soup can in front of him or they put the title in front of him, he's going to fight. Why? Because he wants that money. It's about his family. He says it every fucking time they interview him. He wants to go after the belt. Good. Good for you. In this case, they just have two different motivations. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with having a different motivation as long as you're going in there for the same reason. I think what's throwing everybody off is because Nate's been sidelined for so long because of himself, he comes and he fights, and then he has another fight within six months. I think that's what's throwing everybody in the fight world off because they're not used to seeing this because it's been how many years since he was doing that? Um, since he 
was finished the Ultimate Fighter and then fought on the undercard and maintained the contract that way. But now he wants to get paid and he wants to only take fights that interest him. Look, that's a smart fucking fighter. He knows that. Gamebred. Well, Gamebred is dead. He said it in an interview earlier, so I can't even call him Gamebred anymore. Street Jesus. Street Jesus over there. He knows what he wants as well. The one thing that these two really have in common, they're fucking scrappers. They're going to scrap. They're going to go in there. We're not going to see... Uh, I don't, I really highly doubt that we see much of this going to the ground. This is going to be a standout banger with the exception of one thing. Nate likes to put people on the fence and dirty box on the fence. We've seen it on more than one occasion. But you know what? This is a really tough fucking fight to call because both of them are very, very well-rounded fighters. Both of them are. Between their stand-up boxing abilities to their down-on-the-ground, the only place where I see that one has an edge up over the other is Nate's jiu-jitsu. That's it. The rest of this fight is about as evenly matched as it can possibly be. I think a lot of people are going are overlooking fucking Nate Diaz right now because he hasn't been as active as Jorge Masvidal has. And I think that's where you're going to see Vegas odds tip towards the favor of Masvidal in this. In fact, I'm going to guarantee it. Come fucking fight night, Vegas odds will be on Masvidal to win. I don't think it's going to be a huge margin. We're probably looking at like a minus fucking 200 max. So I have a feeling this is going to be more of a you pick them fight. If I'm to call a winner on this, I don't know who to call. But what I would say on this, because I'm thinking somebody's a little more pissed off than the other right now, I have this strange feeling that Nate's going to win this. Purely because I think he's a little more pissed off about being called a cheater by USADA and those fuckers that beat. Does it have anything to do with Jorge or his abilities? No. I, this is just me shooting a fucking one of the breeze because I honestly don't know who to pick as a winner for this. It's going to be a fucking war. And to be honest, I think this one has fight of the year potential written all over it. I really do. And I think it'll live up to everything that everybody is expecting because these guys they're not fighters that are going to go in there and do a long feel-out process. They go in there and they get to work. This is not going to be your heavyweight fight where you're going to see two, three strikes a minute per, per guy just because they're heavy and they got to fucking maintain their gas tanks. These two scrappers, it's going to be a blast. If I'm going to give it to somebody, I'm just going to give it to Nate purely on the fact that I'm guessing he's a little pissed off about that whole USADA bullshit that he had to call out. But other than that, I have no other reason to call it. Other than maybe we'll get lucky and some crazy intervention will happen and we'll get a draw out of five rounds and they'll run it back. Which would be fucking awesome too. But, you know, I highly doubt that's going to happen. But we'll see what 
what comes of it here on Saturday. But uh, I guess right now, um, just to play devil's advocate from everyone else here, I'm going to call Nate Diaz the winner of this. But I have a feeling it's going to end up as a decision because I don't think either one of these guys are going to finish each other because, you know what? They'll both keep coming forward. They're both fucking Terminators when it comes to that. I can absolutely agree. This this isn't any kind. That's why I've, I've been telling people, just watch. I've had so many people asking me over the last week, who do you think is going to take it? My response has been to everybody, just watch. I, I, me, think Jorge has the edge. Ever so slightly, and only incrementally, only situationally. There's a million things that could happen in this fight that would make Nate easily able to take it, and you can't really be mad about that. But this is one of those fights that there's nothing you can do to definitively make any kind of a pick here. There are so many different possible ways this fight could go. They both have such well-rounded toolboxes, such good fight IQs in the moment. Anything could fucking happen in this matchup Saturday night. But that's why we got to watch it. We could talk about it all we want. The best part about it, though, is that Saturday night, regardless of what I think, what TJ thinks, what Lumi thinks, what you think watching this, it's going to happen, and it's going to happen the way that it's supposed to happen because we don't have any influence on it. We just get to speculate. But speculating is fun. That's why we do this. But this is all we've got. That is all we have for this evening. That is our main event. We have wrapped up our breakdowns, our predictions, and our shenanigans for this particular episode. So I do, before we get out of here, want to take a moment here and thank my casual corner mates and my associates in combat shit-talking here, Mr. TJ. If they have not had enough of hearing why Nate Diaz is a bad motherfucker and a legitimate contender for this belt, how can they get a hold of you to get a little better filled in, TJ? On Wednesday nights, right here, all T-Vapes, 9.30 Central Times on the YouTubes. Also hit me on the Instagrizzles. If you message me on Saturday during the fight, I probably won't answer unless it's in between rounds, and it'll be very brief. Like, holy shit, did you see that? But, um, yeah, hit me up. If you guys want to talk shit, by all means do so. It's going to be fucking excellent, not to mention the cards that are coming up are going to be stacked, so I'm excited to talk about those over the next couple weeks as well. But right now, we're going to live in the moment. Baddest motherfucker alive. Gonna be crowned on fucking Saturday and it's gonna be excellent. Oh, and one other thing I did want to mention for those of you guys who do not follow MMA fighters or anything like that on any social media platforms, go take a look out there. There is a young girl that is missing that is one of the UFC fighters, fucking daughters, 19 years old up Georgia. They're actively looking for her. If you can help or know anything about it, please help them out. Help them find their family. Look, this isn't just a whole because they're a UFC fighter thing, but it is an honorable mention because it's somebody's family. Help them if you know where they're at. Shoot a message to local authorities. And if your tip leads to a conviction, the local authorities have five grand on it. And Dana White just added another $25,000 to that number. There's always that. 
doing the right thing for the right thing is saying ain't good enough for you. There's cash available. That's right. Payday. Rest in conviction and you get paid. That's how that works. There you go. But that is what we have for this evening. So remember, folks, if we gave you a thought you didn't have, if we gave you a perspective you hadn't thought about before, if we made you chuckle at some point during the goddamn show, give us a thumbs up, subscribe, hit that little bell down there so you know when we go live. If we really just broke your funny bone and tickled your damn fancy, I would ask politely that you would please share an episode of this show with someone you know so that maybe we can grow the damn thing. We're trying to build this up. On the other hand, if we're just a couple of dipshits sitting in front of a camera talking out our ass without knowing what we're actually talking about, give us a thumbs down. I won't dispute it. We earned it. But that's all we've got for this particular episode. I would like to take a moment to let the folks who watch this know I am in the process of working out a Sunday afternoon show. Not quite full as long as this. We're going to do it more of a recap show because all the good MMA tends to happen on Friday and Saturday nights. There generally isn't a whole lot of MMA on Sundays. And that'll give us a chance while the events are still fresh in our mind to do a little bit of a recap show. So we're working on doing that. But I am going to be putting that over on a different platform. That will not be here on YouTube. That one will be on Mixer a newer platform for streaming here. I'm kind of liking it. I've been doing some test streams over there with some video games just to kind of get the feel of things, but I'm going to try and get over there this Sunday to do our first recap episode. And I still need a name for it. So if you got a good name, hit me in the DMS. I'm always looking for, for interesting hip, excuse me, interesting tips and help from the fans here. So feel free to hit me up for that. I will put the link in the description for the Mixer channel and I will absolutely publicize it everywhere on Facebook, on Instagram, everywhere you can find I'm No Joe before we actually go live and we get to do it this weekend. But that is everything that I have got. I appreciate each and every one of you who are watching this, whether you are here with us live or whether you are catching this on a replay. I appreciate you guys tuning in to the fanaticism that we just can't stop from coming out. We really do love this shit and that's why we do it, folks. But that's all we've got for now. So Remember, don't let ignorance stop you. You can root for anything, unless it's Voldemort, and then you can take your inhaler gate and fuck right off. Have a great night, folks. <laughs> fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. Everybody was kung fu fighting. Those kids were fast as lightning. In fact, it was a little bit frightening, but they fought with expert timing. There were funky Chinamen from funky Chinatown. They were chopping them up, they were chopping them down. It's an ancient Chinese art, and everybody knew their part. From a fainting to a slip, and a kicking from the hip, everybody was kung fu fighting. Oh,